previously on Godcast. Yeah, I guess. Or, I, but you could meet your favorite characters, see why Pac-Man exists, talk to him in his uh, journey, I guess, through uh, Pac-Man world. <laughs> right, you could. Or something. Well, I did get, un I'm going to see if I can pull it out, but I did get a new Pac-Man game. Out. Oh, great. Well, then again, that's technically a retro game. Where if I see a baby metal fucking figure? Well, unfortunately for me, it's somewhere else. So I can't necessarily oh. show it to you right now. Sad face. don't know where I exactly put it, but me in a future episode, I'll show it off. Ready for the time of your life, because you are now watching Godcast. Everybody, welcome to Godcast, the show where this is how Alpaca thinks when we do a Godcast recording, and this is what Alpaca thinks every single time I mention anime. I'm your host, Hydrowave99, and I'm joined here today with, of course, Floof Alpaca. How are you today? I was tuning my guitar, and... Uh... This motherfucker decides, oh yeah, let's flash some things fastly on the camera without, well, it's not full screened. Oh uh, yes, that'll be good. Um, <laughs> what, well, you, you flashed some cartridges, I think, I saw. It was like a Sega game, I think. Yeah, so I have two different Pac-Man games here. This is Pac-Mania right here. Okay. And this is how you feel every time we get going on recording. Yeah. And I also have Pac-Man 2, The New Adventures. And this is how oh. you And this is how you feel every single time I imagine anime on the entire show. You know, um I I I really can't remember it, but I saw a playthrough of that game and I know it's frustrating as all hell. So, <laughs> yeah. There we go. Yeah. Uh. So, yeah. Ah, fun times here, yeah. So, Alpaca, uh, you know, we've been going through the process of, you know, catching up on all the episodes now. And fortunately, for those of you on YouTube, you will now have the full collection of episodes available for you at your disposal. And we're getting the audio side up for 25 very soon. Mm-hmm. And my God, that audio side for all of our newer viewers coming into the show. Like, thank you so much. Like, oh, my God. Like, you guys have been ever since we started uploading on a platform that I have not announced yet. You guys have been swarming in like crazy. Like, oh, my God. Yeah. <sighs> like, um. every time I mentioned Alpaca over here and he's like, what the flying fuck? <laughs> About what? 
like every single time I mentioned that, you know, that we got this many new views on the video or whatever, you're like over here like, what the fuck? Oh, yeah, yeah. Um. Hmm. Yeah, that that uh, that one thing. <laughs> yeah, that was uh, uh something. <laughs> um. Should I, should I break the ice about uh the count at least the, you know. Yeah, like we've recently on one of our most recent episodes, which is episode twenty three, we've received. Uh, as of right now, 125 downloads compared to, like, you know, prior, which is insane for us. Like, we're just very small creators, you know, social media creators. And, you know, we're just getting going with what we have. And we can't wait to, you know, continue get, providing you guys with so much entertainment and com commentary about what's been going on within the gaming and tech world. Mm -hmm. And of course, talk about Pac-Man. Shut up. <laughs> Did you know that Pac-Man um, was originally called Puck-Man, but uh, people thought they would scribble out the little uh, the little line in between uh, on the uh, where they, the little curve on the P is, <laughs> and put Fuck-Man. So they instead did Pac-Man. So, uh, yeah. Uh, fuck, man. Uh, hey. I, I know a few people that go by that title. Hey. I mean, hey, you, you know, my number's down in the description. Not really. Uh, shut up. <laughs> it truly is amazing. And, you know, like I said before, we just keep looking forward to continuing the everlasting discovery of what's going on with the whole situation at hand and it's gonna be a very fun time especially today because we have a lot of crazy topics with to talk about but yeah. for, but first uh, alpaca was there anything else new with you besides you know all the reports that we've been gathering from how our show's been recently been doing um I mean, not really. I mean, other than, you know, I've been spending time with, uh, uh, just, um, just enjoying video games, but I learned how to mod, uh, Red Dead Redemption 2. Um, nice, so nice. there's that. Um, and, uh, yeah, um, I've just been messing around with those, you know, shooting, uh, dynamite <laughs> bullets, apparently, <laughs> and, uh, you know, playing the game as a cat, apparently, because you can do that. Um, and uh, I got an update from Windows. It was an Intel, uh, like, uh, display adapter thing. But I have an NVIDIA card, and I use the Intel integrated graphics for one of my screens. So it downloaded and then killed my graphics, and then I had to, like, re like uh, reboot... So, I mean, that's one other thing that I ran into. Um, also, apparently in Red Dead Redemption 2, there are um, certain models that you can find in the game. That Oh, yeah, I've been... I've been uh, yeah, about that. Actually, no, I mentioned that. Uh, 
there are certain people like in the game that are mentioned but never show up and like there's certain things in the game like uh the the first game took place in a state called new austin in the game and in this in the second game you can't go there until after you know like you know um actually spoilers sorry uh for people who haven't played it uh but pretty much you can go there sometime afterwards but there's like one of the characters is uh uh not supposed to be there yet they have lines recorded for stuff that they do there even though they're not supposed to be there so i don't know i've just been like looking at like uh certain things like uh the you know modding the game being in areas i shouldn't be and just you know maybe rockstar planned for that character to be in that part of the game um but not really because like um like uh it, it takes place after a heist in a town called blackwater and there's a cutscene that you can get well it's not really a cutscene, but um one of the characters gets kicked out of the bar and this is supposed to happen with another character you're playing as but instead you uh you know you end up uh if you end up going there and the cutscene somehow triggers when you know the other character you know is there that other character still has dialogue uh that shouldn't happen right and there's been a few other things you know popping up throughout the game that when when i mod it to be somewhere i'm not supposed to be or just checking out the map and stuff just seeing like really interesting things you know i just love the world building um and uh you know the the uh idea of uh you know uh, being able to see what's not supposed to be there or seeing what could have been by literally breaking the game uh, and it was it was pretty simple all you had to do was you know download a uh a folder a zipped folder uh extract it and then copy everything in that folder into the uh steam uh steam apps uh folder into the uh, red dead redemption 2 folder um and uh then you just wait a little bit it'll it'll make a weird chirping noise at you and you can uh just press f5 and it'll pop up so you know it was pretty it's pretty cool you know um having to you know uh see what could have been you know if the game was a little bit different i guess in an alternate universe um so there's that uh what was i gonna say about the other thing there was something else i just mentioned too i'm not thinking of now right anyways um i'm trying to get back into the guitar apparently um but not really because the man I... wants to learn megalovania no because i uh want to actually make music and not say oh yeah by the way it'll be available in june and then you know it's february 22nd uh also yeah we're recording on a tuesday uh 
that was uh not my plan right Um, i know for me especially like i know i have a lot of content that i promised back last year that still hasn't been uploaded yet and also due to my time constraints whatever you know i haven't been able to get through to making the content i want to make and i apologize for the two people that actually saw that announcement video i made a long time ago saying that i would actually have other content besides this podcast Yeah, because I actually had other content planned besides just this podcast. You see, I had like comic photo show and Techomania, which I was going to review, review Windows, but that never went through. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, at least, uh, at least uh, that has an excuse. You know, you don't have a powerful enough computer, you know, or, you know, you don't have the technology to make it the best you want it exactly like it's like when i upgrade my computer right now i mean obviously many of you have known that this has occasionally had audio issues but once i get this new computer i want to make and can bypass the chip storage crap oh man the cost i'm going to make on it is going to be absolutely ridiculous like godcast episodes could come out faster i can actually make some other op, you know content like my animation series i originally going to make but I just felt like with that project, it would feel more justified on a more powerful computer with better tools. Mm. And uh, from as for me though, I like I I have the guitar. I I mean I guess I could get a better amp, you know. But I have the guitar, and I you know I just don't want to learn it. And I it just makes me sad and angry that I can't get this. I can't get it down, and. Then I get told, oh, yes, just, uh, you know, quick guitar. If it's making you frustrated, like, okay, thanks. Because, you know, this fucking guy will shred. <laughs> oh, well, he's got an acoustic, but, you know. Yeah, because, obviously, we all know that Alpaca over here wants to learn this hit song called... Soviet National Anthem. Just kidding. He wants to I, learn I how wanna, to... No, I want to learn how to uh, do the Soviet national anthem so <laughs> I can uh, um, make a parody of it. Um, because apparently those are the types of people that would help us in a chip shortage. <laughs> right. Um, we will have a short on that eventually. So, I mean, for some of you on the YouTube side, we actually have shorts that we upload, you know, to see on the Hydrowave 99 YouTube channel. We have the video version of the show and we have shorts that are only available on the YouTube version of the show. Yeah, but um you know that that one um that I was talking about uh with that short uh it was done and then uh uh we didn't want to deal with like claims yet. Because it's like a really like, I, I don't know. It's just very uh, eh, scary. I guess I hate I hate copy claims. You know, so we uh, just scrapped it, and I'm going to uh, re redo it without um, a certain national anthem in it. Right. 
that uh, national anthem is truly glorious. Yeah, especially when, uh, uh, you know, You're right when uh, communism helps you uh, <laughs> with the chip shortage. Right, Not really. And I know that some of our European viewers out there may have a slight opinion on how they think the European Union as a whole is. Like, do some might think it is seemingly veering towards that, you know, ideology. But, I mean, personally, I think the European Union is a perfectly valid union that helps, you know, maintain order and everything within Europe and keeps the continent in peace and unified. I think it does a fairly effective job at that. As far as I know, and even though we're not a political show, this is a tech and gaming show, I do think they have done a fairly good job at maintaining peace and unity throughout the member states. Yeah, definitely. Especially since, uh, you know, uh, there might be another world war going on. Um, I think they've done a great job. No, I'm just kidding. I'm sorry. It just, when you said that, I was immediately thinking of what's going on in the world. I'm like, oh, oh. yeah. The whole situation in Ukraine is pretty awful. And I, if we ever get any people from Ukraine watching the show, I just hope that you all can remain safe and, you know, get through the crisis that's ahead. Um, as for myself, I mean, I have, you know, appeared on the Death Serpent podcast once again. It is available on Fa- it will be eventually be available on Facebook and somewhere else that I have not yet made an official announcement for. Which I will eventually announce it. I promise. Yes. <laughs> and obviously Blue Fell Pack over here will be a vital vital help to making everything possible. And I honestly can't think any I can't think of enough for being a part of this journey. Thank you. I'm glad to be here, not just, uh, you know, I don't like being on the back burner sometimes, you know, like I, I like uh, uh, being a part of something that, you know, I can contribute to that isn't just like going to mean nothing, I guess, you know, right, or, you know, just uh, adding you know, um, I, I'd never, I hate stuff that doesn't add anything, you know, I mean, I, I feel like sometimes I don't add anything to certain things, so I appreciate at least being here to add something to the show, you know? Exactly. Yep. Especially being the contributor to most of the memes. Oh, absolutely. And the shorts that you've made throughout, and we hope to have many more throughout the life of this entire series, it's... Yeah. So that's gonna be a good time mm-hmm. um what however is not a good time though is our first news topic of the day oh yes yes this thing you know this is a a bit of a uh almost controversial thing Exactly. Let's especially, talk about it. Yeah, especially for preservationists like you who value games being supported and available yeah. for everybody. Mm-hmm. So, so let's begin with the fact that the Wii U and Nintendo 3DS eShops are being discontinued. 
Yes, and uh, that means that anything that you did not, ha you know, get, like, beforehand or uh, afterwards, after this, it's gone. It's, it's forever gone, just like the Wii Shop. Mm-hmm. It was eventually going to be the PlayStation 3 and Vita stores before the backlash happened, and they changed their course on that. Yeah. Nintendo's digging their heels. Mm -hmm. So, as you can see here, as of late March 2023, it will no longer be possible to make purchases in Nintendo eShop for the Wii U system and the Nintendo 3DS family of systems. It will also no longer be possible to download free content, including game demos. Furthermore, as this date draws closer, related services will cease to function. And it'll mention that as of May 23rd, 2022, it will no longer be possible to use a credit card to add funds to an account in Nintendo eShop on Wii U or the Nintendo 3DS family of systems. And as of August 29, 2022, it will no longer be possible to use a Nintendo eShop card to add funds to an account in Nintendo eShop on Wii U or Nintendo 3DS family of systems. However, it will still be possible to redeem dial codes until late March 2023. In addition, so pretty much what they're saying is, yeah, once May twenty twenty three, May twenty third happens, you're not gonna be able to add funds for the credit card anymore. That function will be dead. And yeah, it sucks. The only way you can work around this is the fact that if you had linked your Nintendo Network ID wallet with a Nintendo account wallet, which is used on the Nintendo Switch, you can add, you know, balances through that system. Oh. Oh, okay. So pretty much my advice, Alpaca, is if you don't think you're going to buy anything after May 23rd of this year, buy a Nintendo Switch, get the account system set up, and then you can add funds that way. All right, then. Um, I'll... Jeez, wow. I mean... Oh, that is... That's a, such a such a damn... Like, that's such a loophole that I, I don't even see that, you know... I see that being patched down the road, you know? Well, the thing is that that's because you can still do that until March 2023. Yeah, I, I know. It's just... I got I I feel like that's such a strange way to uh you know work around this until then, you know. Like I don't know. I I just wish Like I don't I don't know exactly why why they would just kill credit card uh wait. Actually, would it be possible to just like add like funds? <laughs> And then afterwards, just use it as as you need. That technically be possible. Like if you got added, like say, like a hundred dollars into your eShop, you know, account before May twenty third, using a credit card and just use it as needed. That is entirely possible. Oh, I see. Right. But the thing is, you have to keep in mind that you're probably gonna want to make sure that you have your Nintendo eShop funds account thing linked to the new Nintendo account system so that way 
you know, those funds can also transfer to the Switch as well. Mm-hmm. I would still recommend doing that anyways. Alright. Oh. But either I'll way... see what I can do. Yeah, definitely <sighs> still get a Switch regardless, even if it's a used Switch Lite. Or something. Because yeah. the library is amazing, and on top of it too, we could actually play Smash Online with each other. Ooh, Godcast plays. Anyway. <laughs> Whenever we actually get a capture card, but unfortunately, we kind of found out that we can't necessarily do a Let's Play series easily. Yeah. On the show, because there's so much visual element with something like that, that it makes it very difficult to, say, play something like Smash Brothers. Yeah. So it, it more more or less be relegated to like a, a video only platform. Yeah, I think honestly too, maybe Alpaca, if we do decide to play that together online, you have the, the ability to capture card it or whatever. Maybe you can be the let's player of the of the bunch. Maybe through fall through gaming. There is a yeah, there is a uh, that's a cheap way of getting capture card. Um, so yeah, there is you know you it's like these uh very cheap like uh USB three to uh, HDMI, captures the HDMI going in, or something like that. And then the USB-A like, uh, plugs in the back of your system, so. Yeah, I would definitely say for you in particular, get the Switch OLED. Okay. If you're gonna do that, if you're gonna do capture, do, I swear to God, just get the Switch OLED. You get extra storage, you get a really nice OLED screen for portable play. And it still works with everything else, so you'll be fine. I'll keep that in mind. Yeah. Oh, but the main thing we have to get back to is the fact that the changes to eShop on Wii U and 3DS and family systems will simultaneously take effect in software on these platforms where it is possible to make purchases such as Street Pass, Me Plaza, Theme Shop, and Nintendo Badge Arcade. Not the Street Pass. I want to buy those coins instead of walking. <laughs> Yeah, I remember, I remember that was the thing. There was a, there's like a, like a medieval type thing, and I was like, every day, you walk a thousand steps, you get ten coins, mm-hmm. and you get up to like three hundred of them, and spend on this, or buy them. Mm-hmm. Right, buy them, you lazy <laughs> bastard. Right. Anyways, now. We do not have an article for this, but rest assured, I will tell you that Pokemon Bank, I swear to God, they're making it free. They're going to make it entirely free because of the fact they know that the Switch, not the Switch, uh, the 3DS online is going to get shut down. The eShop's going to get shut down. So, I would also advise that if you find a really cheap 3DS as well, or a 2DS or something... Snag it and then download Pokemon Bank on it. So at least you know that after the eShop shut down, you can still be able to transfer Pokemon to the Switch. Yes, yes, certainly. Oh my god. I, I need to go find a charger for my 3DS. I do have one. It's just... Uh, I, I gave up on it. <laughs> yeah, just download Pokemon Bank on it and just continue to let it be until you find some Pokemon games. Awesome. Or I could get an emulator. 
You yeah. could, but trust me, you're going to have a much easier time if you have the actual system itself. Yeah, I'd probably wake up one day with one less kidney and a bucket of uh, ice uh, yeah. next to a angry uh, lawyer. <laughs> so that way you don't have to... Mi Shigeru Miyamoto will be like, <laughs> why did you kill Mario? Right. So this way here, you don't have we, to wake to up pay. wake up with his face. Oh, <laughs> uh, God. <sighs> yeah. Um. However, like I mentioned before, after Mark 2023, it will still be possible to re-download games at DLC on the Wii and 3DS. So if you still have anything you bought, you can still re-download it even after that day. Well, at least I'll know we'll be able to keep uh, um, Super Mario Three. So, right. however, what this what this entails too? Think of all the virtual consoles that will be lost. You know, that's a good point. Since Actually. you mentioned Super Mario Brothers Three, because here's the thing, though. With the Nintendo Switch online service, you only have access to Genesis, Super Nintendo, Nintendo, and 64 games. That's all you have for retro collection. And with the virtual console, you had access to things like the Wii and the DS and Game Boy Advance games. Those games on the Wii U will be gone. Mm. So, um, the only way I see this is they really need to um uh I, I think this is they're just making incense incentive to put the virtual console on the switch because the 3ds was mildly successful and the Wii U was a failure so I can only think that that's what they're gonna do but actually I, I get it the virtual console is like I would say actually no, and the reason for that is because they're putting all their eggs eggs into this Nintendo Switch online, and they're gonna, which means this includes like I said, the Super Nintendo, the Nintendo, the Genesis, and the sixty four games. They're gonna put yeah. each of those game libraries as its own app. Oh, I see. They're trying to make it right. kind of like a Netflix of gaming sort of sorts, not as much as a Game Pass is on Xbox. But they're kind of going through a somewhat similar thing, but except with retro games. And as I mentioned when we talked about, say, this rumored Spartacus thing, which is supposedly going to have, like, the ability to play PS3, PS2, PS1, PSP games, all the service, yeah. what they're going to essentially do is they're going to add different systems as it goes along. Like, they're probably going to add another tier, maybe for the Nintendo Switch Online, that'll probably have. Game Boy Advance and Wii games, but the problem is that that those collections are going to be far less than what they were on the Wii U and 3DS. All right, well, unfortunately, that's, that's terrible. That's like, like this is like this is like the the year is going to be 2023, and you will own nothing. And you will be happy. Holy shit, this is, like, not a dream come true. Like, this is, like, hell come true. Also, when you made me realize that, I realized in military time, 
it would be 2-22-2022 at, in military time, 22-22 p.m. Or, not p.m., because it's military, but, you know. Holy shit, you just, like, picked the right time for the stars to align. Holy shit. God. <laughs> right. And... Yeah, the whole event overall is going to be pretty disaster for game preservation. I mean, there's some games and functionality as well that are we lost. Like, I know one of the big ones, for me at least, is Xenoblade Chronicles X. That has not been brought to the Switch. And top of two, if you have a Wii, if you buy the physical disc, the eShop has the specialized patches you have to download from the eShop that increase the loading speed of the game. Essentially, what this means is that if you're playing Xenoblade Chronicles X on the Wii U, you are going to have a worse experience than those who have downloaded it digitally. Loading time is going to be quite a bit slower. Gosh. And that's a punishment for owning a physical version while also the shop is down. Mm-hmm. That, that's like playing Far Cry 3 on the PlayStation 3 without any patches, which I actually did with a broken controller. It, it was terrible. Right. Obviously, Super Smash Brothers for Wii and 3DS are going to suffer as well. All the DLC characters and stages, everything are going to be gone. I mean, fortunately, most of that did carry over to Ultimate, so it's not like... All of it is lost, but it's still a full entry to a Smash Bros. game, and all that content is going to be gone. Yeah, that's like uh, saying that. that That's like uh, saying like you had, uh, you know, Melee or Brawl, but or even the original, but any, like, you can only play, you know, you versus three CPUs mm -hmm. on... Final Destination, or so. Exactly. This is going to be the first time we experience a Smash Brothers game where you're going to have an incomplete roster just because you haven't connected it to the internet and caught all the DLC. It's like being told that um, you can't... I mean, gosh, you know. It's like being uh, told that you can't have this because you weren't there for it. It's like, it's like, uh, I don't know, but it's like on a game that I don't know. It's jeez. Right. Another thing too is, I mean, this is not as bad as well. Mario Kart 8. Mario Kart 8 actually has a couple of DLC maps and different vehicles and stuff like that, that, what the eShop's gone, you can't play those, you can't obtain those on the Wii U anymore. There's like Mercedes-Benz DLC, there's the map packs that the Wii version had. All that would be gone. I see. However, the reason why it's not as bad is because Mario Kart 8 Deluxe exists. Yeah, and it still keeps on selling. Like exactly. I said, I don't know who the hell keeps on buying this shit. 40 million... <laughs> copies you know at this point it surpassed the wii u in hardware sales i swear mm -hmm. 
It did, because only like 13 million Wii U's sold. That is like a small population in a country. God. It, it is, yeah. Uh, it's not even a fraction of America's like population. <laughs> but yeah, I would definitely recommend Alpaca if you can. Either just go through the Wii U and 3DS and see if there's any games you want to pick up. Because there's a lot of games that obviously, what the if there's digital only... You probably want to make sure you can pick up the ones that you're the most interested in, so that way at least you know you have them. Okay. Um, for the Wii U, I want... Uh, uh, th there was a very terrible, like, indie game about memes. Uh, let me look it up. Uh, As meme. if it wasn't sad enough. I mean, we lost, we're, first we lost Meverse. Now we're losing the eShop. Yes, I, I want Meme Run. <laughs> I want Meme Run on the Wii U console. This would be lost to, to uh... Wait, it's lost media? I mean, it, yes, of course it's going to be, but it was recalled. The game was submitted to Nintendo four times before being approved. As of March 2015, the game was pulled from Nintendo eShop thanks to a copyright claim filed by the Troll Faces creator. What the fuck? Holy shit! <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah. We lost the Miiverse. Now we're losing the eShop. On top of that, who knew? This was the, uh... Who knew that this was the, um... The precursor. Now we lost Meme Run. Mm-hmm. Rest Damn in peace, fellow comrades. Um, but yeah, I think we've officially run out of everything for the Wii and 3DS. They were great consoles, and just play the games as much as you can before the eShop shuts down, or at least get everything you need, and just enjoy those games. Yes, because we know Nintendo does not care if it's good for the player or not. Dude, they shut down Smash Tournament because they try to use Slippy with rollback netcode, and they try to want to make their game better. Like, how is this good for our inflated ego? All right. <laughs> but one thing that is interesting about Nintendo they're experimenting with is the fact that they are also doing AMD Fidelity FX in Nintendo Switch Sports, possibly. And once I get this article loaded, we will get started on this discussion, because it's kind of interesting to think about that, you know, Nintendo's experimenting with AMD technology again. Yeah. Because, obviously, the Wii U and 3DS both use AMD technology, and obviously the Switch swapped the NVIDIA technology. Yeah, and yet it's, um, they're choosing the uh, more open source option of, uh, you know, super sampling, you know. Yep. So, as you can see, we have NW Player 1, 2, 3, and if you take a look at 
what this thing says over here. I'm going to zoom in on the screenshot here. If it loads, it does. If not, it doesn't. You can see there's a copyright mark for AMD. Once it loads on my end, of course. And the audience can see it. But for Alpaca, he probably already had the image pulled up on his computer already, and you can see it. But yeah, um, it's pretty much uh, paperwork that mentions MSR and copyright and stuff. Um, Which obviously you got this from reading the description on like the eShop or whatever. Yeah. Now, I was hoping to hop into this game because obviously I liked, you know, Wii Sports and Nintendo Switch Sports is obviously, well, Wii Sports on the Switch. I mean, who doesn't want to play freaking bowling and tennis and whatnot? What's some new games? But I thought this was interesting because this could potentially mean that this game could probably run pretty well. Especially if they decided to do the technique of, you know, making a really low resolution and then blowing it up with clarity. Yeah. And FSR itself is very, uh, a very lightweight, um, uh, technology. It's, uh, um, it's just a bunch of like shader calculations that uh instead of like a you know like with nvidia it's like an ai that's literally learning how to recreate this game as it was you know prior to the you know uh you know scale down well but yeah um and, and the best thing is sometimes it makes the image look better you know i mean in a sense it's I mean, personally, with, you know, these types of technologies, I would rather technology advance to the point where it can, like, you know, where we can not have to, you know, upsample stuff. But it is pretty impressive, you know, how it's able to uh, make something like a 1030, you know, GT 1030, like, run a game at 60 FPS as of today from something that was in, like, what 2016 i think yeah. right and though that was supposed to be a low-end card at that time anyway but anyway granted we're both of us are running what would be what most would consider low-end cards right now oh uh, yeah we're we're running uh gt 210s no we're running 1660 supers <laughs> Just still just kidding get fucked i won the lottery dude <laughs> anyways um no i got to 3090 ti bro this is where i would lift the middle finger but i don't feel like putting an editing box over it so there you go i got it running in sli dude it's running 4000 fps on mincraft <laughs> anyway yeah but one thing i have to notice is that nvidia dlc DLSS is superior to this because suppose it uses hardware, specialized hardware tensor cores to be able to produce like take these lower images and uses alg like you know 
deep, le deep learning super sampling, which also is the name, to make the images blow up and clear it and everything. But even then, this is still impressive to see in a Nintendo game. Oh, yes, certainly. Another thing to note, too, is the fact that while this has to be implemented on a per-game basis, so if Nintendo were to do this, they could probably go back and probably maybe do this for some of their older games. I would say specifically, Xenoblade Chronicles 2 could probably use this. If they could implement it, that would be amazing. But I know Xenoblade 3 is currently in development, so they're probably putting all the work to that, rather, mostly, so. Yeah, and uh, I feel like um, games that, you know, like, if, if a game is running at, like, 30 FPS locked, you know, on the Switch, they can then um, implement this technology and, with a bit of patching, throw it in there and then, hey, there's a 60 FPS update or something. You know, or at least 45 FPS. I don't know. <laughs> right. But, meanwhile that, we also have to talk about the Cyberpunk 2077 patch that also came out. Oh, yes, this one. Um, oh, yes, sorry. the Cyberpunk 2077 next-gen patch that will officially allow the Xbox Series X and PS5 to get their next official next-gen versions. As if it wasn't already bad. Anyways, sorry. I've, no. It's, um. it's, in a much better it's in a much better place now than it was at launch. Oh, uh, yeah, I know. It's, I know. It's, it's not it's, perfect, but it's still in a much better spot. Yeah, at least I can play it on, you know, like, good enough hardware. Like, I could probably play it on my system now without... You know, with uh, a good enough visual quality, not having to, like, reduce the resolution even at that point, you know. I mean, this is um, the perfect game to put a Hatsune Miku mod. There you go. Yeah, certainly. You know. <laughs> Here's hoping uh, there's no clipping issues. Hello. Right. <laughs> anyway, sorry. Yeah. So, um, as we look through here, it'll say that... You know, it brings various improvements to the game, numerous quests, gameplay fixes, as well as a number of free DLCs. On top of it, it contains the next generation update, which will allow Cyberpunk 2077 to take advantage of the additional power of the Xbox Series X and S and PS5 hardware. Here, what the update brings to each platform. And unfortunately for me, I have to actually try and get this image to load. Here we go. So let's take a look at this image right here. Now you can see here that you have the PS5, which has, you know, obviously all the caught all all birds of the game get new weapons, additional apartments for V, hairdressing mirror, and rebalance of gameplay, economy, and loot systems. Great. Quality of life change and everything. That doesn't hurt. Certainly not. And then Ray Traits Local Shadows gets added to the PS5 and Xbox Series X versions of the game. Xbox Series S does not get ray tracing. Uh, sorry. I mean, that makes yes. sense. I mean, Xbox Series S is literally a 1440p console. It's not meant to be a 4K powerhouse. Yeah, not really. Just, uh, yeah. It... 
meant to be a system that it's just capable enough to get the next gen games. Yeah. I mean, honestly, I I don't mind. I'm not really a fan of ray tracing right now. It can really bring out the uh, realism of shadows, but I don't know. It's a little uh, it's a little dull right now. Wait for next gen. Well, not only that, you have for your for us cases, especially with the wait until we can get our hands on a thirty ninety or some high end car to be able to take advantage of that technology. Better remember I got 1390 Ti. <laughs> no, I'm <was> kidding. <laughs> All right. <sighs> and then nice. for for the Xbox Series X, the Xbox Series S, and the PS5, they also get very visual quality improvements. Stadia already has ray tracing, vi- you know, the various visual quality improvements and spatial audio. Wait, spatial headphone audio? What? What happened there? <laughs> That's odd. So as you can see here, I guess the Xbox Series X and S already got that feature added. Because he's this previously added. And the Xbox One actually has it too. But the PS5 never got it. Wow, that's odd. Mm-hmm. Huh. And then Stadia and PC, which as you can see, Stadia and PC are all lumped together. Yeah, I guess, because Stadia would use a PC. Um, and then, yeah, so... So, PC and Stadia, Xbox Series S, Xbox Series X, and PS5 all get improved crowd reactions, and the PS5 gets to take advantage of the DualSense. Okay. Oh, no DualSense for the Xbox? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Honestly, I wish the X... When we talk about the Fortnite update later on... It makes us wish that it makes me wish that they would make a more up to date Xbox controller to take advantage of all these features. Yeah, um, I mean, yeah, that'd be pretty cool. Remember the six axis. <laughs> anyway, um, but looking at all these changes, I mean, this is good to see that the Xbox Series X and S and the PS Five are always get, yeah. are getting these massive updates that they can finally take advantage of more capabilities. Yeah, certainly. I um, I just uh, I mean, I just wonder um, like, looking at uh how you know didn't the PS4 version have to get taken down and refunded? Correct. It actually get taken down. It gotten. It did. Go, it did come back online though. It's like you know um. I just kind of like am almost like amazed at uh, the fact that they, you know, still have it on the older consoles, you know, like, yeah, that they that they're I mean, I understand that this is, you know, supposed to, you know, change the, uh, you know, the performance. I know like this update was uh, really lightened the load, I know. I just I wonder what it would how it plays on the uh you know the older consoles you know right probably better but honestly I will probably play some Xbox Series X that is where I have my copy actually well technically the Xbox One version but I I I have stored on my Xbox Series X yeah probably the only person that actually has two copies of this game because I actually have a Steam version as well hmm. 
You know what scares me, though? Mm -hmm. The Series S version is presented at 30 FPS. Oh my god. It brings me back to not knowing what FPS is. Sorry. Right. I'm not trying to be a snob, it's just... Yeah, at least, yeah. yeah. I think I heard, I, yeah, the ray tracing mode. It says Xbox Series S version has no graphics mode selection as by default presented at 30 frame per second and 1440p with dynamic resolution scaling. Mm. So it may mean that if you had already bought the Xbox Series, the Xbox One version on the system and that's already a 60 frame per second, you may want to stick with the Xbox One version, maybe. I don't know. Maybe. It doesn't run worse. Right. No, dis- no disrespect intended. <sighs> yeah, but yeah, if you look over here, they bring a lot of things here. I'm not going to go over like the the additional stuff that they have here but uh, yeah look like yeah the appearance thing is really minor (laughs) you know yeah all the stuff here is minor obviously we'll have this as part of our sources pdf in the link below in the description but i'm gonna scroll i just decided to scroll through this and you guys can just pause as needed but it's a lot of fixes and there's no end in sight for that fix. I'm just going to tell you right now. There's no end in sight for that. I, I guess. Swear, like, this game is going to go through a No Man's Sky situation. I swear to frick God. Like, No Man's Sky sucked at launch. I mean, I actually enjoyed No Man's Sky at launch. I actually bought that game digitally. Yeah. But I've heard that game is a lot better now, and I'm like, holy shit, I actually need to go back and play that. I have a very terrible big backlog. Not a big, not a, uh, it's it's huge. Like, you can see my collection of games, it's freaking ginormous now. And I've been collecting Genesis games now, and has Dreamcast games and shit. Like, and I even, I mean, well, I mean, when, uh, you do finally get that break, you know. You get to, uh, you know, sit back, you know. Do you own a Genesis for them? Oh, yes, he does. Okay. And then my my copy of Sonic 3 and Knuckles right in that cartridge slot. Oh, yeah. <laughs> what many people consider to be the best Sonic game out there. Sorry. <laughs> that That's, uh... Um, Red Hill Zone, copyright, twenty twenty two. Yep. Welcome to where you can't use a vast majority of songs for the copyright reasons. I swear to God, yep. like we had a short which we were trying to use the anthem of a very famous nation that used to exist, and well, we couldn't do it because copyright. Yep. Oh, um. By the way, the uh, the only thing that's uh, noteworthy, in my opinion, is uh, right here. Uh, perk points you spent were reset. Go to perk screen to reassign. Perk points are free. So, hey, after this update, you get a new skill tree and uh, blah, 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 I guess. <laughs> um, Where do you see that? 
Uh, it's just on, uh, if you go down to uh, perks, it's below uh, this NPC's uh, thing. It's nothing too super big, but, you know, that's a thing, uh, I, I guess. Well, I'm just going to just quickly highlight that and make that a note. But I think overall, I mean, this is good to see Cyberpunk. It continually improve. And it seems like it's slowly changing reputation, but obviously the, the scar is there. Yeah, I, I, it's very obvious that they're, oh, wow, it, they discontinued support for NVIDIA 700 series graphics cards. <laughs> wow, that's, that's hilarious. Um, man, I can't run it on a set, on a GT 710. Dang it. <laughs> Anyways, uh. Right. But what else we have for patches as well is this next patch for, you know. Oh, no, they're uh, no longer testing it. They aren't discontinuing it. Like, right. They're just not testing it. Sorry. But as I was getting to, we're going to start with another patch. Another patch for a certain game that is a favorite among the Godcast hosts. But more specifically... Someone that we know that no longer is with us right now. Yeah. They died. <laughs> Not really. No. As we can see here, Gyro Aiming and Flick Stick come to Fortnite in version 19.30 with more controller options, which is great. So oh my a... god, Gyro Burkluff. <laughs> so you can Sorry. see here, there's a video that they added over here, and we're not going to get into it. But they added gyro control to Fortnite on gyro-supported platforms and Flickstick too. Huh. So what they're doing is that while it's true that Fortnite and Nintendo Switch and Android had gyro-based motion controls, we've added more robust gyro controls to Fortnite on Nintendo Switch, Android, PS4, and PS5, and as well as PC with 19.30. So yes, UT Alpaca with a PlayStation 4 or PlayStation 5 controller, maybe a Nintendo Switch controller as well, will have access to this feature. Or I could jailbreak my 3DS and use the augmented reality thing. <laughs> that would be fucking hilarious and completely, you know, dense, but hey, I could do that. I could play Face Raiders again with Fortnite character. <laughs> No, I'm just kidding. Yeah. So, for those of you who want to know how to enable this, you can enable or disable gyro controls in the touch and motion tab of settings. Doing this by toggling gyro aiming to either on or off. When on, you'll be able to control the camera by turning the controller. This can offer more precise than standard stick aiming, but it doesn't have to replace it entirely. Usually, players will still use the right stick for most camera control while using gyro for aiming for finer adjustments that are difficult to do with a thumbstick. You'll know and that mentioned that you'll notice more gyro options in the touch and motion section. And they're gonna go over them in the article. But I wanna mention this too because when I play Breath of the Wild and use my Pro controller, I actually enjoy gyro aiming. Like it is actually very cool to use it and just like use it for like very fine precise aiming. However the one the game that always bothered me with it is Splatoon. And the reason for it is because with Splatoon, yeah, you have the gyro aim, which is great, but I can't look up or down with the right analog stick as well as use motion. 
I see. I see. Because if Splatoon had the ability to look up or down with the analog stick, as well as use motion, oh, motion would be on all the way, and I would just use. I could actually use it naturally. But ugh. I know many people in Splatoon still prefer gyro, anyways. But I like to have the option for both, like you know, full analog stick movement instead of just locking myself in two directions. Yeah, and that's I why, understand that. And that's why in Splatoon, I just go pure analog. Call me a heretic for any Nintendo viewers that watch the show. No, you're a heretic for using a console, peasant. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, hey, at least you're not using a wall socket as your enemy. Yeah, sorry, I... You know, that literally looks like a wall socket from America. <laughs> the grounded plug is his big gaping maw, and those two eyes are just... He he is seeing biblically accurate demons. <laughs> uh, right. Anyway. So as we look at here, you know, there's, there are two separate active mode settings. Active mode combat refers when you want gyro active when, while you're in combat. While active mode building refers to when you want gyro active while building or editing. And they give you the sections for, like, you know, how often you want active modes for each there. So, for instance, if you want to, you can enable, probably enable each of these individually. So, do you want to gyro only with scope weapons or only with aiming? Not a problem. You want to make sure it's, you know, with scope, aiming, or harvesting, or always on? Not a problem. So as you can see here, they're giving you options for how you want to customize this. Yeah. And, uh, oh, flick stick. Um, the, it, uh, it says, oh, the, um, the thing is, is, uh, flick stick. Uh, it says this means you can no longer aim up or down with a right stick. This requires gyro aiming to be enabled. Ladies and gentlemen, I will probably not be using gyro in Fortnite because of that reason. Actually, maybe not just Flickstick. I will not be bringing Flickstick. No. Minor rant of the day. Thanks, Epic. Back to you, Steve. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> right. Well, I thought we had Minecraft Steve on the show anyways, but he's not real. Back to you, pet name Steve. Sorry. <laughs> right. But yeah, obviously you have you know, all the emotion things. And overall, like I think, you know, this is great. That this is here. Like another option for players to fit around with and, you know, just enjoy the game. And obviously with Gyro coming to console, at least for the consoles that support it, this will mean, you know, Close to the mouse and keyboard aiming. Yeah. Which is great. The one uh, console that is losing out on this whole thing is Xbox. Yeah. Yeah. Um, they really need to do something about those controllers. They need to bring back the Kinect. 
Oh, wait, no. Fuck. They, they sold that. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> well, not sold it, but they partnered with a TV manufacturer to bring it back. <laughs> Whatever. They, they told somebody, hey, take this, use it, and get out of our sight. Anyways, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, oh, also, uh, it won't be available uh, when with uh, GeForce Now, apparently. <laughs> on the PC or mobile, apparently. So That probably makes sense. I could see why. Uh, the, other, the other platform that's missing out on this is iOS. He doesn't know. Apple... For the love of God, get your shit fixed so you can have Fortnite back on your store. For the love of God. Yeah. Because, uh, it would be a big epic fail not to. Anyways, sorry. Um, Bad jokes. I'm gonna leave this entire thing. I'll just walk away because that pun was very effective and i'm just gonna go ahead and grab some popcorn and just completely leave the show all right goodbye everyone super effective (laughs) (laughs) just like you're gonna run (laughs) and go grab a bite out of that apple no i'm just kidding (laughs) anyways um you know what make you leave for five seconds ripping people's face off <laughs> not, not bad metal, not baby metal. Ah, get the fuck out of my screen. <laughs> anyways, um, yeah, um, anyways, speaking of ripping people's face off, ah! <laughs> y- you know what console is missing out on ripping people's faces off? Sony. <laughs> Well, you actually, shall not. That actually is a good point because there's a game that actually got censored because of that. Oh, yes. Otherwise known as uh, censor shit. Yeah. We don't like that here on Godcast. Yeah. First it was parental advisory stickers. Now it's a, a sticker just below uh, our favorite video games with an M or an AO. Now it's um, censor shit itself, straight from the companies being uh, their platform is on. Right. So there's a horror game called Martha is Dead. Now, for the, for the two of us, we haven't actually followed this game, but the but knowing about the game is not the thing that matters here. What matters here is the principle of the issue. Mm-hmm. And as we can see here. Martha is Dead is a narrative adventure recommended for adult audiences only, with play consisting of potentially discomforting scenes and themes that may distress some players. Both Wire Productions and LKA have always been open and honest about Martha is Dead content, with the sensitive depictions in play consistently communicated to the media since the game was announced in 2019. This content is also flagged clearly and repeatedly with the game itself before play begins. Is regret that we had to modify the experience on the PS5 and PS4 versions, with some elements no longer playable. 
After over four years of passion and hard work, developer LKA now requires extra time to make these unplanned changes. Martha is Dead as well will still launch digitally on both PS5 and PS4 on Thursday. So, this is February 11th. So, this was already... This was already released at that point. Hmm. February 24th, 2022. Okay, I lied. So, it's actually... So, since we're recording this on Tuesday, February 22nd, two days from now. I see. But the physical retail release will be delayed to yet... To a yet-to-be-disclosed date. Although, we anticipate this to only be a small number of weeks. Our physical edition will still contain the bonus content of a double-sided poster, digital tarot cards, and Martha's Dead digital EP. We will update players with the date we ship this edition as soon as we have the information. The PC and Xbox versions of Martha's Dead are both unaffected by these developments and will launch with the full unedited gameplay as planned. We look forward to players experiencing the work of LKA on Thursday, February 24, 2022. Wow. So there you go. Xbox got a W on this point. While Xbox lost with gyro aiming in Fortnite, they just got a win here. But you know what platform I'm going to play it on? Steam. <laughs> PC. Anyways. Um, yeah. Uh, so pretty much what got censored was your ability to input... It was a QuickTime event, pretty much. Now, QuickTime events, everyone hates them. It's just an unnecessary hold this to do this nowadays it doesn't it's not like urgency you know that's what quick time events are good at and most people just make them you know just oh you have to press this button to advance um at least that's how i've always felt quick time events are used for um the spur of the game even though, you know, people don't like quick time events like I just mentioned. What is censored is your ability to interact with the cutscene. So the cutscene just goes along as if you never pressed an input. That is what is affected. Um, and that part of the cutscene is when, I guess, a character's face is being peeled, I guess. Or something, I guess. And, you know, it's... um. You know, it's pretty gruesome. I can tell you the graphics are... They've advanced from PlayStation 1 to 2 to 3 to 4, now 5, uh, to, you know, original Xbox, to now we got ones that look like mini-fridges. <laughs> um, and a PC running really damn hot. Still, but doing a thousand times the work mm -hmm. like i understand that you know this stuff is a bit it makes you cringe but this is not a game for the faint of heart it literally says i you know i mean they literally say on this uh steam page i'm glad i pulled this up um dark first person psychological thriller it blurs Set in 1944 Italy, blurs the lines between reality, superstition, and tragedy of war. So, I mean, this obviously has something to do with World War II. But if you, um, you know, keep on looking down. Unashamedly authentic voice acting in Italian. Oh, man, man sorry. Uh, 
from the creator of Town of Light. Okay, uh, deep and dark multi-layered narrative. Uh, exploration of loss, relationships, and psychological undertones of a dark period of history through the eyes of a young woman who seeks the truth, but who also has secrets of her own to hide. Um, excuse me with that first one. Uh, marionette sequences, a backdrop of war, uh, virtual photographic greatness, um, authentic, blah, blah, blah. So, mature content description down here. This is more what I was looking at, uh, looking for. Uh, the game contains potentially uncomfortable scenes and covers topics that may distress some players. The game is recommended for an adult audience, carries the appropriate age rating. Um, the game uses artistic interpretations that can be visually unsettling and may cause discomfort. Explores complexities of the human mind, psychological trauma, and... SI, I guess. I'll just leave it at SI, because... Uh, S injury. Yeah, comment down um, below what you know if you know what that means. Just comment down below. Anyways, um, so obviously it's a game for mature audiences, as it says, and this type of censorship is, I wouldn't say an abuse of power, but like the uh, like the glares on um. I think on some characters and like, I think there was like a release of it was either Final Fantasy or Devil May Cry or yeah it was Devil May Cry I think that had these like light flashes like there was like these weird sun rays that were emanating out of um, the characters' private parts to censor them um, and it wasn't there on the Xbox or PC release or whatever and it's just like. I don't want to support a platform that censors their uh, mature games and treats us like we can't handle content that we choose to purchase and play. I do not want to be told I can't handle this. You know, I want to. I want to, you know, take the blame if I see something that deeply unsettles me. Maybe I'd actually learn a thing or two, or you know. Um, have a bit more insight into the problem. You know, not many people really understand what uh, these tones are. You know, like I, what I said. You know, um, stuff like that is pretty. Uh, not many people uh, um, feel it's a. Uh, it's a you know. Not many people understand that it's a serious topic, you know. Um, that's all I have to say on this, though. Right. Um, I just don't want to be treated like a child by um, the, uh, you know, the company that had the uh, grittier versions of certain releases, you know, right. way back when. Mm-hmm. Yep. And you can especially tell by this because Sony recently, for the last few years, have been doing this, especially Japanese games. A lot of Japanese games have these certain pieces of content that have been constantly getting censored. And it's pretty aggravating, I'm sure, for a lot of Japanese audience because Sony's been going after a lot of their games. Yep. 
for developers that want to, you know, who've been with for a long time and now all of a sudden realize, oh shit, a lot of our games are now getting censored if we want to put it on PlayStation. And PlayStation constantly trying to de- move toward the Western audience. It's not a good time. I do know that Japan is a bit sensitive themselves with some of that stuff. The, mm-hmm. you know, the people that brought you, um, you know, hentai, mm-hmm. um, is now saying that any glorification of violence or disturbing imagery is uh, too much, and you don't deserve to be shown this stuff, which don't agree with but that's japan yep clearly this whole situation is a this pack ban here out of 10 pac-man with a gaping mouth <laughs> exactly and uh doing a uh um a wingsuit thing or hang glider into uh hmm. possibly the eiffel tower who knows <laughs> right but can we get the CAD files to the Eiffel Tower? No, you can't even photograph it at night. But you can get the CAD files to the Steam Deck and make your own cool skins and stuff. Exactly. Give your Steam Deck a, a nice grip texture and uh, a nice uh, um, a 3D artwork, if you know what I mean. <laughs> yuck, yuck, yuck. <laughs> Anyways, um, yeah. While yeah, I, I refresh the page here, um, yeah. So the Steam Deck got CAD files available for it, which is great to see. And uh, that is um, for like tinkerers, modders, um, even manufacturers like D Brand. I think you know can even use this. Um, yeah. You can three D print the shell of a Steam Deck and. Um, like, you can literally, uh, uh, you know, create your own, uh, like, it's, it's as, it's as awesome as custom, uh, making a, uh, computer case, you know, like making a computer case, um, like taking a computer case and making it your own, it's the same thing here, but in a handheld, and hopefully this might even... I, you know what? You know what surprises me about this is this could also nurture a uh, era of uh, add-ons and stuff like that. That you could like, you could uh, strap a fan to it. I guess I don't know. You know, you could strap a fan to your phone or something. There's that weird thing I saw on a YouTube video somewhere. Mm. Um, but something like that, but more practical. <laughs> right. So as we can see here in the article, it says. Good news for all tinkers, modders, accessory manufacturers, or folks who just want to 3D print a Steam Deck to see how it feels. As of February 11th, 2022, we're making the cat files for the external shell, which is the surface topology of Steam Deck, available for download under a Creative Commons license. This includes an STP model, STL model, and drawings, or DWG, for reference. We are looking forward to seeing what the community creates. So... This is actually a very interesting perspective to see because most major platform holders don't do this. Like, we've even seen Sony with the shells at one point just constantly, like, say no before they started officially making their own shells. Yeah, and they, like, 
you know, committed an act of terrorism across D brand, you know? <laughs> right. <Sorry. laughs> uh. And I do think that this is going to overall be great for, you know, people who want to make accessories for the thing and skins and cases. Maybe Otterbox could do something with this and actually make a special Otterbox Steam Deck case. That'd be awesome. Oh, yes. Or I could 3D print my own uh, uh, Felix uh, dress-up game. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I, oh I my could 3D God. print oh. a, a magnetic sticker, and I can just, uh, whenever I feel like it, just uh, undo the magnets. And, uh, oh, yeah. Oh. Have fun. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, we also Did can use this to, I mean, for a pack especially, we can make a specialized-themed case with Felix. For our friends. Yeah, all our friends. We got Felix and Ari Zero and Baby Metal and Pac-Man and Hailbillies and... Monica from DELC. Oh, especially that that friend. She was the best friend we ever had when one of our old co-hosts were around. It was a great time. Oh, yes. And we still love her. I mean, one of my favorite... One, actually, one of my most impactful games, actually. I really enjoyed that one. Yeah, I, I especially appreciate Mr. Derek, you know? Mm. I don't know who that is. Sorry. <laughs> We're just going to go with it. Mr. Derek from across the street. Yes, I guess. And, of course, with the insert penis, you know, skinny penis 69. Oh, yes. And as long as our freedom is respected, <laughs> America... Of course, a giant American flag on the back of the Steam Deck case. Hell yeah. <laughs> Hell yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Hell yeah. <laughs> uh, so many fun but times. We're taking any buyers, so, yeah. Yeah, if we get the Steam Deck case out, we can make a special Gawcast merch for your Steam Deck. Oh, yeah. When we have enough followers to make it actually worth it. Yep. Because we're not showing up for money or anything. Not as far as I know. I know, but I wouldn't dismiss any offers, right? Yeah, if anyone sponsors us, I mean, hey, we'll take the sponsorship offer. Yeah. I know a few people who do want to take some offers. Of course, of course. Well, yeah, I mean, by sponsorship offers, we mean complete acquisitions. Yeah, sponsorship offers. We'd love to purchase Red Bull. No, I'm just kidding. God, imagine we were that rich to be able to purchase the company that made Red Bull. Wouldn't that be something? You know, honestly, that, and I would love to, like, buy Mountain Dew and then purchase Monster and then, like... Say, so tell me you want to buy Pepsi and Coca-Cola because Mountain Dew's a Pepsi product and, well, Coca-Cola's Coca-Cola. Well, I, I want to buy the uh, permission to use Mountain Dew. All right. We have to get our official Doritos and Mountain Dew sponsorships from Pepsi. <laughs> Sorry. This Anyways, show, um, imagine making a sponsorship deal. It's like, this show is brought to you by Mountain Dew and Doritos. Get your, really. get your Doritos and Mountain Dew for all your MLG needs. Take a 420 no scope, everybody you need to see. Use your promo code GODCAST to get 
20% off your next order of Mountain Dew and Doritos. Not really. No, that's... We have to be clear. Not really. That's not... We're, we're not sponsored. No, we're not actually sponsored. That was a fake sponsorship ad just to show this. That's what a sponsorship would be like. Yes. But also, uh... Uh... I'd like to thank our sponsor, uh... Uh... Uh, where is it? Oh, here it is. Oh, yes. Awesome. Hell yes. Now we have it. Uh, um, oh, God. All right. Uh, yeah. So oh, let's where take, is it? Yeah. So let's oh, yes. Take, yeah. So let's take a look at these America. articles here that we have while we're waiting. And okay. the first one is from Platinum Games, who we've been talking about for the last few weeks. These guys have been pretty active in terms of saying their opinions about the industry and everything like that. Very active recently. Yes, very active. And on Valentine's Day, well, let's just say Platinum Games want to send a Valentine's Day card to Microsoft because Anaba, who is the president of Platinum Games, responded by saying he'd be open to any possibility as long as Platinum was afforded the kind of independence he expects Microsoft to offer Activision once the deal is complete. The most important thing for us is to have the freedom to make the games that we want to make. When I hear about the recent acquisitions, I don't think Microsoft's going to start micromanaging Activision to where they take all their freedom. I don't think it's going to be a relationship like that. I think there's going to be a lot of mutual respect there, and I think Activision will be able to continue doing what they do best. That's also what's most important to the, us at the end of the day, whatever form that takes for us at our company. So I would not turn anything down as long as our freedom was still respected. So yeah, it's pretty interesting that... I mean, obviously, the article also keeps note that in our previous suggestion that Platinum would not be interested interested in a sale to Microsoft, which has publicly stated its desire to add Japanese Studio to its first-party roster, should the theoretical arrangement limit its independence. So, translation, as long as they can make continue to make whatever games they want, they don't care if they're bought now. So it probably shows the change in the status of how the, the people Platinum view the company. Mm-mm. And, yeah, I mean, that's an interesting thing to think. Like, imagine if whoever buys Platinum out, like, what games could they make? I mean, if Microsoft bought Platinum, they can actually go back and do Scalebound, actually. Yeah, certainly. Or, no. Yeah, but the only problem is that they don't have, they don't get the IP that Platinum is known for because Bayonetta is an Astral Chainer owned by Nintendo. And Nier Automata is with Square Enix. Yeah, but at least they'd have uh, footholds in every console, you know. Maybe, uh, maybe if they uh, did something like they had uh, exclusives to every uh, company or something, that would like, I don't know, that would be. I I think that would be pretty cool, but I'm not sure if that would really be worthwhile. <laughs> But, you know, something just to think of. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, 
Microsoft could really use Japanese too, so I think that would make sense. I think another company that would make sense, even though they're, they're not actively participating in this, if Nintendo... I saw that rubber ducky. What? <laughs> what? What I was going to say, though, is I feel like the cup... I think Nintendo would make sense for Platinum. And the reason for it is not only the Japanese company, but because... I feel like Nintendo could utilize Platinum in many different ways, because obviously they own the Bayonetta Astral Chain IP, which is a good chunk of their IP. They can mm -hmm. probably use it as a bargaining tool, be like, hey, let's actually lock Platinum up, and maybe they could do it as a defensive move, because the last acquisition Nintendo made was actually with Next Level Games, and they did that out of a defensive move. Yeah. Because they I know that they're the ones that develop the currently in the developers of Luigi's Mansion and now right now Mario Strikers. They wanted mm -hmm. they wanted them locked up so that way no one else could get them. I see. Yeah, and that would uh I see how that that would um that would definitely make sense more than just having uh their hand in every pot, you know. Yeah, um, so I feel like if Nintendo wanted to, they could probably buy off Platinum and tell them they could continue to make the games they want to make just on their platform and use it as a defensive move because they know that, oh shit, we're, we would lose Bayonetta and put Astral Chain sequels if we don't act on Platinum. Yeah. So, I mean, granted, I know those games are niche, but I think that would make sense. And... I mean, if Sony wanted to focus on Japan again, I mean, yeah, that could make sense. I think Sega could also make a good fit for uh, for Platinum because, obviously, Bayonetta connection because Nintendo and Sega practically co-owned that IP. So I feel like having Sega and Platinum paired would make sense. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you brought this to, like, Square Enix, maybe because Nier Automata, and I know Babylon's Fall, I believe, is also being made by them too but honestly that's like one possibility but yeah, yeah. I mean, it seems like whoever studio acquires platinum it's most gonna be for the talent not so much yeah, for the definitely. ip although they did get a huge chunk of cash from tencent so maybe they might decide to fold to tencent just to say hey um Thank for all this money. We're just gonna we'll take it on being part of your company. I mean, who knows? I guess, but Tencent. I think we've discussed this before. How they're very much into the mobile aspect of stuff. So, I, I think Platinum Games would be. I wouldn't say ashamed, but be disinterested in doing mobile only stuff. Well, keep in mind um, too. This is the same company that owns majority share in. Riot Games, who also does League of Legends and also invests in Fortnite and every other company you think of, even Ubisoft. Oh. Tencent is primarily a financial company that backs up games studios. They have a huge, they have stakes in like almost every single company. It's ridiculous. If you ever All look right. up, you, if you ever look up like Tencent's investments, it's crazy. Like they even have a huge stake in Epic Games. It's ridiculous. Yeah. But 
Well, speaking of Ubisoft, who we just mentioned, we obviously have to talk about the fact that Ubisoft reveals sales stats and that they welcome buy-off offers. Oh. And it says here that Ubisoft has been seeing some negative publicity as of late, largely to the French gaming publishers' affinity for NFTs and poor working conditions. NFT part, we can attest. They've been very stubborn about that. And it says, as of the day this article got released, the company has released its most recent earnings report, giving gamers a look at how the company is managing financially. On top of this, upper management has begun discussing the possibility of Ubisoft being acquired in the future. Assassin's Creed Valhalla is performing extremely well due to its microtransactions. These grew by 80% compared to my Assassin's Creed Odyssey. So I guess more people felt like it was worth it to spend money to fast track their experience in Assassin's Creed Valhalla. Right. Yeah. Especially if we're trying to get rid of microtransactions, like predatory microtransactions, and people are falling for Assassin's Creed Valhalla. I, I don't understand. I mean, I know Valhalla was like uh, more uh, more looked highly upon, I guess, or something. But uh, it's, it's got microtransactions in it. Mm-hmm. And we can also see that Rainbow Six Siege has also added over 10 million players over the last year to reach over 80 million unique active players. Rainbow Six Extracting which was released on January 20th, had reached over 5 million players so far. And obviously more DLC and season pass and stuff for Siege and Extraction. Fun times here. Mm -hmm. And here's the thing that's going to somewhat disappoint you. When compared to Far Cry 5, playtime per player in Far Cry 6 is up 45%. So I know you're a huge Far Cry fan. Yeah, I guess I, I mean, I saw Far Cry 6 and uh, I looked at gameplay and stuff and I like the horse riding and stuff and I like that there's more guns. There's like the uh, Canadian uh, Sat Me Fal uh, or FAL and then there's like a few other uh, guns that they threw in, but um, I don't know. It, it. I also know that it's a little disappointing. Like, uh, but I think there's more to it. I got Halo Infinite to tie me over anyway. If I'm in the mood for Far Cry, though, so yeah, that works too much. It's just yeah, that campaign, from what I understand, is actually pretty good. So yeah, with the but with six though, I heard it was. Very just, it it has its identity, but it's generic for Far Cry. Right, and with the fact that they're also trying to make that a game as a service for the next Far Cry. Ugh. Yeah. Um. Also, that like uh jetpack rocket launcher thing, um, that I saw. Like you, you pull a cord and it sets like it shoots rockets. 
I don't know why that ruins the game for me. That's so petty of me to say that, because I'm usually very open, but... How the fuck do you pull a cord and shoot rockets out of, you know, your backpack and blow things up? Right. <laughs> it, it just blows my mind that they don't think that, oh yes, maybe uh, the main character will go deaf for a few seconds. Oh. Definitely and, a few seconds, you yeah. know. And as you can see here, it says that Ubisoft also know that Rise Republic had received great reception with playtime per player up 60% over steep, so good to see there. And the company reported net bookings of $847 million, which was in line with their expectations. And they also mentioned that games such as Avatar, Frontier, Pandora, Mario Rabbit, Sparks of Hope, Skull of Bode, as well as more exciting games are coming up in the next fiscal year. And it's saying here that that Skull and Bones was started in 2013 and has undergone multiple change direction and scope over the past nine years. So, fun times there. And this is the thing that's the most important thing of the entire article. Regarding the possibility of a sale, Ubisoft Yves Guimon has stated that the company is not looking to sell at the moment as it feels confident in its financial position. With that being said... Gimon also made it clear that Ubisoft and its board directors would entertain an offer to be acquired. So, pretty much, if someone asked them if they wanted to buy it and they gave them a good enough offer, they would think about it. I see. And I see some a couple of screenshots of Anno 1800, and that game was actually pretty damn awesome, so... Write that game right down there. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. Uh, what do you think of this whole situation here? I mean, it seems like Ubisoft's gotten to a point now where, even though they may be doing pretty okay-ish, they're facing massive pub negative publicity. I for us, it's more so the NFTs than anything. Yeah, I mean. It's, you know, um, sorry, I just heard like a weird thing in my door. Thought it was a, thought it was a, uh, mouse. Um, just the cats. Uh, anyways, um, my opinion on this is, um, you know, I, I understand that they, uh, you know, they're, <laughs> you know, they're, they're, uh, uh, like it says, their affinity for NFTs uh, oh, poor working conditions as well, yeah. I mean, um, I know Ubisoft has its, uh, it's had its, uh, you know, uh, been exposed, you know, and the light has been shown on them a little bit more ever since, uh, you know, the Active Liz thing. Um, but I, I know the NFT thing is definitely, you know, making a lot of people, uh, upset. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, I I understand that too, because you know, it's one, it's a buzzword, but two, it's not very well highly looked upon, I guess, um, right now. Um, that makes it a buzzword, but it also is the fact that it's uh not done right, in my opinion. You know, I feel like they uh they're trying to make these like uh exclusive things that you you know that you can sell and stuff and 
I just, I don't know. I don't get it. They're dipping their hands, they're dipping their feet into the pond too fast, I guess, you know? And they're they're putting all their chips in it, though. So it's it's more like they're diving into the pond and not realizing there's, you know, piranhas in it. Right. I guess. Exactly. Uh, uh, and, uh, you know, I think the, uh, they should have just waited a little bit, you know, not jumped on what, you know, could have been a big thing, but really isn't. And more is, uh, disliked as of right now. I mean, personally, I know we talked about it, how I wish NFTs were implemented for like a used digital game market, like license thing, like, you know, how we said, and, um, how it could also be used for, like, you know, serializing actually really uh, tangibly important things, you know? Or, I mean, even then, this thing with, uh, you know, Ubisoft using them as to serialize items in a game is more or less what we want to kind of see, but it's not quite there yet. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, that's what I mean. I oh I just feel like right now Ubisoft's games are largely feeling samey. Yeah. And so it's it's as if they would, you know, make it something. Uh, they would like instead of innovating their game design, they just, uh, you know, they just jump on this bandwagon, and they don't, you know, uh, you can go ahead. I'm sorry. I hope I didn't jump in your mouth. No worries. But yeah, it is all very samey nowadays. Like, you even look at Assassin's Creed A Far Cry, like, despite the difference in time period, ever, it all feels relatively the same. And you could kind of say the same, almost same thing for, like, Division and everything else they've done. It's all practically samey. Yeah. Um. Which is rather sad, because Ubisoft has tons of unique ideas behind their vault. Like, Rayman, for instance who practically hasn't really had a new game that featured him on the console for a very long time. Mm. And you'd think with, like, the, uh, you know, the success of platformer games still, that Rayman would have a, a 3D world, in a sense, to go around in, you know? Right. But oh, Kirby's uh, new adventure thing, the, the uh, 3D Kirby game that we were talking about last time. Mm-hmm. Yep, Kirby in the Forgotten Land. Like, you have all the different platforms from Nintendo, but instead, you have Rayman, who practically has its spin-off character, the Rabbits, overshadow them, and that's being used towards Mario and not Rayman. Yeah, that's the worst part, is that the like it's as if Mario just stole the Rabbits at this point, and Rayman is left like left in the dust as like a angry antagonist like wario at this point he's literally war in the same boat as wario and waluigi especially waluigi mm. <laughs> well the funny um, thing is that waluigi is purple rayman is purple they're both lanky mm-hmm. rayman is secretly waluigi confirmed woo and while the whole situation with Ubisoft and Platinum Games is quite intriguing, to say the least, with the current trends of acquisitions. 
let's talk about how Microsoft opened Activision Talks. Like, when did they actually talk to them? Well, as we can see in the title here, three days after a CEO harassment report was when Microsoft decided to talk up to Activision and decide, hey, I want to acquire you. I don't talk about Activision anymore without a mask. And then seeing this scumbag right there, front and center. Yep, it just makes you want to, you know, <laughs> I need to divert the smell of, uh, you know, they say Mark Zuckerberg looks like a reptilian. <laughs> anyway. Yeah. So, as we can see here, for a month, the Trello publisher had been in headlines stemming from the workplace sexual harassment lawsuit filed by California Fair Employment Agency in July. The bad press hit a fever pitch on November 16th after the Wall Street Journal broke published a report that asserted Activision CEO Bobby Kotick had not only known about the many instances of sexual harassment that occurred at the company, but also act to protect those who respond for the abuse. Day after that article came out, Phil Spencer report told employees he was disturbed and deeply troubled by the horrific events and actions that allegedly took place at Activision Blizzard and that Microsoft would reevaluate its relationship with the publisher. Well, they certainly did, all right. It's one day after that email that Spencer called Kodak to start the process that would end with the Microsoft announcing plans to buy Activision Blizzard some two months later. And this is all according to a U.S. Securities Exchange Commission found first spotted by CNBC. Starting on page 31 of the document, Microsoft devotes nearly 10 pages detailing the timeline of its talks with Activision. According to the filing, Spencer told Kotick during the November 19th phone call that Microsoft was interested in discussing strategic opportunities between the two companies and asked if he had time to talk to Microsoft CEO Satya Nadella the following day. That Saturday, November 20th, Nadella made it clear that Microsoft hoped to purchase the publisher saying the company was interested in exploring a strategic combination with Activision Blizzard. As, as it turns out, the quick pace at which the talks moved was mainly due to all the other companies interested in buying up Activision Blizzard after its stock died in November. At least four other companies contacted the publisher about a possible acquisition. None of them are being named in the SEC filing. However, one notably just wanted to buy Blizzard. And Activision didn't move forward with that option because the company's board of directors deemed the sale would have been too difficult to pull off. And the document also detailed the term of the purchase agreement. If the deal doesn't go through due to antitrust complications, Microsoft has agreed to pay Activision Blizzard a termination fee of up to $3 billion. And a few years ago, that's a possibility Microsoft probably wouldn't have had to worry about too much, but 2022 find the company in a very different regulatory environment. At the start of the month, NVIDIA banned a $40 billion bid to buy ARM after the Federal Trade Commission sued to block purchase. President Biden appointed Lena Khan, the commission's current chair, to a position on the strength of her excellence in antitrust law. When the NVIDIA ARM deal fell through, the agency specifically noted it was significant because it represents the first abandonment of a litigated vertical merger in many years. Whew. All right. So pretty much what they're saying here is that 
four other companies were also interested in trying to buy Activision Blizzard. And I think we knew that Mike, I believe Activision Blizzard approached Facebook and they declined. But I wonder which company would want to be the idiots to only buy Blizzard. Uh, me. Sorry. <laughs> uh, I, I would love to purchase one snowflake from Blizzard. <laughs> I would love to uh, uh, buy uh, a Blizzard. Um, and I, I, can it be the uh, uh, Reese's? Uh, no, can it be the Twix Blizzard? <laughs> Thank you, Dairy Queen. Anyways. <laughs> Sorry. Um, anyways, um, thank you. I would like the Twix Blizzard <laughs> to the, can I have the Oreo Blizzard, dude? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> fucking smooth brain ass fucking moron. <laughs> anyways, um, <laughs> But who I wonder <laughs> I wonder to know what company would only want to buy Blizzard Entertainment. Does that mean a Blizzard come with a free DVD? <laughs> Sorry. I have, feel, some... I have a feeling this uh, is gonna be a short. Yeah. Um I mean <sighs> See, the thing is, is that, you know, um, you know, um, just, I think, uh, just buying Blizzard, you have, uh, you know, um, I don't know, because, like, yeah, you're kind of right, um, who would want to just buy uh, Overwatch? You know, is World of Warcraft, right? Mm-hmm. Diablo. Uh, Diablo, you know. Um, who wouldn't, you know, want everything that Activision has? You know, Activision is a company that has been there since I, as far as I know, before the Atari even, you know, before the 2600. I think. I don't know. I mean, um, they were the ones that made famous games in the Atari 2600. Such as... Yeah, like, uh... Call of Duty. 2003. No, I'm just kidding. Pitfall. Uh, pit, yeah, Pitfall. And now, you can play that in Call of Duty, apparently. Um, hey, how the turntable. Anyway. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, but yeah, no, um... You know, a company that has years of, of uh, you know, and years and years of, you know, existence and proven creativity and profit making, you know, um, even if some of that was uh, morally and, you know, legally wrong, you know, 
who wouldn't want a company that has all that, you know, all that and more to offer, you know? Yeah. As well as Blizzard and King and, you know, they would have COD, they would have, um, you know, League of Legends, right? No, that's Riot. Oh, sorry, sorry. I, I don't know. I, who wouldn't want to have uh, then? Uh... Fuck. Give me, give me one second. What does Activision have? Who wouldn't uh, want Spyro or Crash or Tony yeah. Hawk or Guitar Hero or all these very different type of games? And then on top of two, who wouldn't want Candy Crush? Oh yes, I got it for free with my Windows Ten. Can I get Candy Crush uh, 2 with Windows 11? <laughs> Can I have some uh, candy with that blizzard? Can I have a Twix blizzard? <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah. Can, can, can I? Thanks, Sheila. <sighs> I mean, at least you didn't get served by Bobby Kotick. What was that? <laughs> Anyways. Yeah. Um. Yeah, but everything over here is interesting to see, like, what's been going on. Like, the fact that, like, five of the companies thought about acquiring Activision Blizzard and Microsoft just wanted to be quick on it. I know that Microsoft especially wanted to buy it quickly because they know that who knows who could acquire them. Like, like we discussed before, like, what would Facebook do with them? Yeah. Yeah, I hear that. Um, thankfully, uh, you know, when they had intentions of purchasing them, they, but the thing is, is that it's, it's interesting how, uh, they had, they, uh, it was only a few days, you know, afterwards, you know, I just think, you know, they, they, they swept them up really quickly for just after, you know, news broke out that they're committing heinous acts over at that company, you know? Mm -hmm. And also, they wanted to buy them at the cheapest possible price, because with a stock evaluation being significantly lower than what it would be at normal, they wanted to scoop it up at the, not only at the quickest time, but at the cheapest price. Yeah, and I, I, I see how that, you know, how, how why they did that really quickly it's just it's it's interesting to note that you know other than a financial reason was this to you know was this a genuine act of like uh you know uh is this good for the player <laughs> i don't know i would say based on what microsoft would want to do with them i would say yes but as terms of you know what the moral of actually acquiring them because they know it's cheaper who the hell knows yeah i guess that's where the question lies i only know um this fall i guess right call of duty comes out but while we do know that the mystery of the morality of Microsoft acquisition of Activision Blizzard is in question. We do know one thing that's not in question. 
what was once in question, we know the answer to now. What was once hidden is now in sight. Cause We've noticed that you were using an ad blocker. Oh, fuck. They found me. Because, <laughs> ladies, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, boy, we have to discuss how hundreds of sealed retro games were discovered in Nebraska storage facility. Oh. So the same state that we meme on for lack of T-Mobile coverage is home to a what essentially is a retro gaming vault. Yeah. Um, literally full of... Like, I, I remember Hadra told me this. It was It's full of, you know, uh, copies of, you know, old games like uh, Street Fighter uh, 2, I think, is right there. Um, you know, it had Chrono Trigger, it had, uh, hold on one second, let me take a good look through this, oh, there's SimCity, I see, um, Street Fighter 2, of course, yeah, my god, Castlevania Bloodlines, um, but yeah, um, anyways, continue on with this, but, oh, they even had the, uh, uh, accessory for four-player, uh, the super multi-tap. Mm-hmm. <sighs> Continue on with this, but my God, looking at this video, holy crap. And, but the thing is, is uh, it might not have been 1994. It might have been 25 years later because Chrono Trigger and a few other games were released after 1994. But anyway. Yeah. But even then, like, regardless of it's 1994 or 1996... Like, this is still an impressive find. Like, all these retro games, some of which are high in value, lost to time, are suddenly being resurfaced again. Yeah. And it's very good to see. Like, all these different games are showing up in service. It's amazing. Like, I wish I would, this guy went to Nebraska. I mean, granted, I have T-Mobile, so rip. But... I mean... Yeah, but hey, would you rather have mobile coverage or a treasure trove and, uh, uh, like, over a, uh, a fortune in digital, not digital, uh, physical old games, <laughs> I guess. True. I mean, I would probably keep at least one of each game for myself and then sell off the rest. Yeah, me too. And then I'll like let my grandchildren sell it. Or I would save each of these wrestle games one for myself, each for myself, and then I'd send you one of each. Free of oh. charge. And then Free who knows? <laughs> and then I would like uh you'll probably like find um I don't know, like a a thank you note with a knife through it on your porch. Sorry, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Something Perfectly fucked okay. up like that. But yeah, I, I can't say enough because this was an impressive find. Like, all these cool things copping up. Like, you can't go wrong with good old retro games like this. 
Yeah, no, I, I have, I have a, a, so little to say about something that just is so exciting to me. It's a damn jackpot, you know? Um, yeah. Like, it's like, uh, and it's, it's a time capsule. It's old stock that never got taken, uh, with, uh, whoever previously owned this, uh, store. Um, and, you know, it's like, oh God. And these are sealed copies too. They never hit the shelves or at least, uh, were taken back from the shelves and stored away somewhere for, you know, literally two and a half decades at, at you know, at least, um, it's just such a, I don't know. It's such a monumental find. I love it. And, uh, I wish, uh, I wish, uh, the, uh, best for, um, future game preservation, of course, because I am a big game preservationist. Um, uh, but I also wish, uh, good fortune to whoever, like, sells these, I guess. Uh, I'll, I'll take a cut of the profit free of charge. I'll take it off your hands, man. <laughs> <laughs> you see me, man. I'm looking at this dude. Looking at this dude. Uh, he's like in his like kitchen living room. He's got a a box full of these. Hey, man. I'll take these games off. They're probably not worth nothing. They're old, man. Hey, man. I, I I'm definitely not uh. You know, I'll take them off your hands. They're definitely worth a lot. Uh, I mean, a lot less. Here, I'll trade you this rubber duck. How about that? <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, I'm just... In uh, Nebraska of all places, too. Uh, there are probably places out there that are treasure troves just like this. And I'm happy to see things like this be rediscovered like a time capsule that's literally what it what it says um it's like a time capsule mm-hmm. anyways um yeah. i mean hey i'm a big game preservationist but i mean some things uh you know don't deserve to be preserved or spun off you know imagine uh you know uh, imagine making Scrabble, um, but, uh, you decide, oh yes, let's add Fortnite to it. That's what this next, uh, <laughs> article is about, and I think I need to get the mask for this one as well. <laughs> so ladies and gentlemen, for those who don't know, Wordle. I can't see. <laughs> Wordle is a bit of game that's been getting pretty popular recently where you have these five letter words and you have these certain limited amount of slots to be able to solve what the word is. And now this game is getting a battle royale. And apparently there's already many offshoots of Wordle, such as Nerdle for math equations, Loodle for dirty words, Taylordle for all things Taylor Swift, and obviously now we have a Battle Royale one. Why is there a Taylor Swift Wordle? 
How the fuck do you... Uh... This is why, you know, I think I mentioned this before. This is why, uh, the, you know, the internet has given us such insight. You know, there were crazy people way back when before the internet, but the internet has really shown a light on these uh, um, crazy people. You know, this is like insane. Anyway, um, I'm not going to anger Taylor Swift fans. I'm just saying, like, it, it's... It's something. This thing. <laughs> and I mentioned, while regular Wordle is something you can play over your morning coffee to spark your brain into working for the day as you ponder the possible other combinations, Squabble put pits you against other players. You have to rapidly guess words, and you have to hit points, which diminish with each wrong guess. If you stall trying to think of different word possibilities, you'll still get damaged. And I will say... You keep guessing words until there's only one player left. Okay, never mind. This isn't as bad as I thought it was. I now I now that you now that you mentioned the oh my god. So this, this is actually eh. Whatever, say, this is fine. Yeah, so this actually reminds me more of like Tetris ninety nine or Pac Man. The Pac Man one. More so than say a Fortnite. But honestly, yeah, for me, it's but I was gonna say for obviously Fortnite popper is the whole thing, and then everybody else copied it. Yeah, personally for me, this kind of is more like uh, musical chairs in a sense, you know. But I mean, not musical chairs, more like uh, uh, I don't know, whack the pinata. Not the episode sixteen musical chairs. That was cancer. Don't watch that one. No, I mean. Unless you can spell fanboy, then yeah. The hidden segment that no one will ever see, no matter if, if we ever do a BTS, that thing will never pop up. Nope. Uh. But while Wordle Battle Royale is Alpaca's favorite segment of the entire day. Shut up. <laughs> I, I just don't like it being called a Battle Royale when it's like, not even. <laughs> this is like calling it, uh, this is like calling, uh, um, Roblox, uh, Squid Game. I don't know. <laughs> this is like saying Red Light, Green Light is just Squid Game, but, uh, fuck, I don't know. <laughs> but yeah, so we're moving away from... Fluff Alpaca's favorite topic of the day, the transition into Fuck. Intel graphics cards. Oh, hey, the same stuff that crushed my uh, PC earlier. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Windows Update is like, hey, we got a brand new driver for you, man. It'll give you some great shit, man. And then I can't see. I can't fucking see. Anyways. Yeah, so I'm just waiting for these pages to load and then we'll get started on this conversation. It's going to be a good old time here with Intel GPUs. Oh, yeah. Maybe these ones will be more deadly to Alpaca's computer. 
they better not be a fucking uh, gigabyte power supply. That's all I'm saying. Or a EVGA 3090 running New World. Right. Or a or a high drives computer. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah. Trying to present some clean articles to present for everybody. Uh, I mean nothing by it though. Right. Oh, I guess I'll have to present this anyway. So, introducing Arc. Unleash your imagination with new Intel graphics solutions coming 2022. Hardware, software, and services all built to help you game, create, and stream without limits. And we can see here. uh, Intel Arc graphics production silicon in action on 10 popular games. I'm not going to stream this, so no. And let's go to some major game partnerships, X Super Sampling, which I guess is going to be Intel's take on DLSS and Fidelity FX. Yeah, I see. I, I wonder. So it's more like DLSS with the uh, AI enhanced upscaling than, you know, FSR. Right? I mean, if it has a similar thing to Tensor Course, then probably. But it mentioned, yeah, maybe. But it depends on if whatever. It depends on if whatever Intel is doing is going to have something that's similar to a Tensor Core. If there's no Tensor Cores, then that means that it's likely that this is going to be more similar to Fidelity FX. So it all depends on that one factor. I am looking at the comparison, and uh, it, it is it's good enough for me. Mm-hmm. And you have Intel Deep Link, which is going to, I guess, harness the power of Intel CPUs and GPUs. So pretty much what this means is that Intel's CPUs will actually have good integrated graphics. Woo. Ooh, woo. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I, you know, I, I love that, honestly. I'd love to be able to play a game on integrated graphics like it was a console or something. Mm. And then obviously there's going to be HPD arc architecture. That doesn't matter as much. What matters more is, as you can see here, there's a whole story behind it and media coding in action. And you can see some different partners that have. So clearly Intel is pushing this thing like a motherfucker. Mm-hmm. And if we want to stay updated, we can. Um, but we also have the road ahead, which are going to mention these different things. Codename Alchemist, codename Battle Mage, codename Celestial, and codename Druid. And they're going to explain all of this in the future. Mm. So one of, is, one of which is probably going to be the higher range gaming enthusiast. One's like the basic consumer one. One's probably like a middle of the road one. And one's like the super enthusiast, like fucking bitcoin mining crazy one i do notice that it's literally abcd so mm-hmm. i wonder if that like alchemist is you know or if it's like a school grading almost but i don't think so maybe but let's take a look at the next article over here with details more and if we scroll down a little bit we're going to scroll, we're going to skip a lot of this because the most important part is this area right here. 
Intel graphics timing and roadmap update. AXG expects to ship more than 4 million discrete GPUs in 2022. OEMs are introducing notebooks with Intel Arc graphics codenamed Alchemist for sale in the first quarter of 2022. Intel ship add-in cards for desktops in the second quarter and workstations by the third quarter. Architecture has work begun on Celestial, a product that will address the ultra enthusiast market. So, this probably means that the add-in cards is probably Battle Mage. And Celestial is being aimed at the ultra enthusiast market. And there's also Project Endgame, which is which will enable users to access Intel Arc GPUs through a service for always accessible low latency computing experience. So Project Endgame, I feel like it's gonna be similar to GeForce Now, where it's like you stream like with the NVIDIA graphic cards. Okay. That's good. I just hope the games aren't exclusive to that. Right. Exactly. And as we can mention, the third article here, which is a little bonus supplemental material. Is it exclusive, though, to GeForce Now? No, I'm just kidding. No. Sorry. But yeah, so as you can see here in the third article, it's saying that Alchemist GPUs face stiff competition from the likes of NVIDIA's 33,000 series. And AMD's RX 6000 cards. But the rumored 2022 launches. Wow. Of RTX 4000 and RDNA 3 loom large on the horizon. Regardless of how they end up performing, XCSS should help spice up proceedings against if competition upscaling technology like NVIDIA DLSS and AMD FSR. Which. I have a feeling that their first Intel's first launch is like going to be a bit lower than what the competing GPUs are going to be like, and then once to get their steam going, then their next generation will likely be able to be up in par. Because mm-hmm. they they're kind right. of playing catch up game right now. Yeah. If they're a new competitor in the field. They kind of have to get their foot down first, and then afterward, they look at what the cards are coming up with, and then they can just blitz speed ahead. Yeah. The only thing we hope is that this thing can actually be successful enough to pull it off. Yeah, I, I um, I do hope that they would, uh, you know, like, I, I, um, as far as I know, like, Intel is very risky, you know, they, they, they think that they, like, I think uh, there's a there's an there's a architecture that they ended up making that was mostly used for like server uh, um, hardware. It's called like, Titanium, and there was like a it was a contract, and they're still paying it to this day until like next year or so. And like, um, I I just. Uh, I mean, I know that they're very, um, they're very, uh, ready to have ARC be a, you know, thing. Um, I just hope that the, uh, product lives up to this amount of marketing and hype, you know, having, like, this galaxy-esque sort of, like, uh, style to it, you know, making it seem like 
top of the line stuff, you know? Mm hmm. Um, and we can also see here that Intel confirmed via tweet that Arc Alchemist desktop GPUs will arrive in quarter two of 2022, whereas notebook versions will arrive in quarter one. This confirms suspicions that the company had delayed its discrete graphics cards going against what could potentially be a RTX 4000 series. So, this kind of starts to make a little bit more sense that Alchemist is like going to be the consumer grade, gaming grade graphic card. Like, this is the stuff that we would likely be able to buy. That And Celestial is going to be like the super ridiculous like shit. It, and Battle Mage. I have no idea what that's going to be either, but it's hard to really say. Um, if we scroll further down, it's saying that they kept quiet on the of the pricing, but they are going to work with different boards, which some which apparently will help with facilitating a variety of price points. Now the specs, according to what this thing's saying, is that will be the first Intel components built with the company's XEHPG architecture, otherwise DG2. They'll support ray tracing and will supposedly use XESS to boost FPS higher than competing AMD and NVIDIA GPUs the same upscaling solution. Recent links from SI Software suggest there will be three performance tiers in the Arc Alchemist lineup. A300, A500, A700. The entry-level A300 cards will likely use the DG2 128 GPU die, whereas the A500 will use a more powerful DG2 3A4 and the A700 lineup using the more powerful G DG2 512. And... Okay. And it continues onward that right now the GPUs they have in stock... Initial reports indicate that the Intel A500, A700 ARC GPU will rival the NVIDIA GeForce RTX 3070. And then there's also some links that indicate that the Intel A380 performs similar to an NVIDIA GeForce GTX 1650 Super. Okay. So, that's a grain of salt there. But, this could likely mean that they're going to categorize the GPUs into something like, you have the A series for, you know, the lower end market, the B tier for what we consider the gamers, that's why they, that makes sense why they'll call it Battle Mage. Mm -hmm. The C tier, the enthusiast, which means the D tier has got to be something completely different. Yeah, um... I don't know if it's just a naming scheme, um, or if Druid really uh, would just, uh, you know, uh, really mean something. Because a Druid is like, uh, almost like a, uh, you know, it's almost like a, uh, a priest or some sort of like, uh, uh, do, do you know the term soothsayer? Think of like somebody who uh, has more of a uh, 
I ha- feels as if they have a higher power, you know, to uh, like feel that they lead, you know, this uh, through this um, otherworldly being in a sense, you know, right? Something like that, you know, like uh, something along those lines. It's like a it's a Celtic word. Um, um, they're more leaders and they had more authority and stuff. So we're saying Um, that our soothsayers are... Shut up. I I see those baby metal figurines. You, You can't hide them. Ah, shit. I think I dropped one somewhere so I don't have the third one right now it's somewhere I'm glad you dropped them you know <laughs> that I mean I, I can't really see because you know but uh, I'm just glad you dropped it you know I mean hey anything's better than three of them blind fire well, we also do have Mr. Hatfield. Uh. Metallica song? Yeah, um... You know it's sad but true. You can't do this without me. <laughs> but yeah, overall, I do think until entering the GPU market will be great. I yeah. mean, especially for blindfolded people like Fufalpaka over there who wants to cover his entire eyesight with a mask and pretend he doesn't exist when he does. I- I'm an emu. <laughs> if it, if I can't see it, it can't see me. <laughs> this is the logic you use in games like uh, uh, Sherlock Holmes, <laughs> the the one that where Watson doesn't have a walking animation, so he's literally like a a weeping angel or a SCP. <laughs> I see, I see. Well, we're talking about brains here, and while we are on the Intel rage... Um, yeah, I guess fuck we... you, Intel. Ryzen 6000 mobile chips are better. No, I'm just kidding. I mean, are they, though? Who knows? But according to AMD... Who will be releasing Ryzen 6000 mobile chips... They're saying that. Let's see, their AMD emphasizing efficiency above all of the Ryzen 6000 line. Improving the Zen 3 Plus core power management and its six nanometer process led AMD to make some bold claims during a recent briefing with media. For one, AMD says it wants to push base clock speeds around 40% in its 15 watt U series parts. 
that led to a 17% increase in performance over the previous generation, as well as an 81% jump in graphic speeds and an additional three hours of battery life. And say to drive the efficiency point home, AMD says that its 15 watt U series chips can practically obliterate Intel's 11th gen 28 watt hardware. The company's testing shows that the new Ryzen 7 6 ADU, well, 6800U, 6, is around 24% faster than the core i7 11857G. Of course, they want to make sure that they have take internal benchmarks with a grain of salt. And it's worth noting that AMD didn't have access to Intel's 12th gen hardware. What they're saying is going to be vast spirit thanks to the hybrid core model. And they're also saying that AMD boasts that's offering full power cores across the board with the Ryzen 600 line, down the line, where Intel had split things up between powerful P cores, efficient E cores, and there's no doubt that Radeon 680M is also going to be a compelling feature for mainstream gamers. AMD says its Ryzen 5 6600U can reach up to 128 frames per second in Asia Empire 4 compared to the 86 frames per second Intel's Irix XE graphics reached on i7 1135G7. Differences were pronouncing among the more main titles. AMD's graphics hit 52 frames per second in Shadow of the Tomb Raider, which, while Intel's, only reached 32 frames per second. And obviously there's a bunch of graphics and everything here, but... Looking at this, it does seem like AMD's chips are at least going to perform very well. But to overtake yeah. it... Well... They're okay. using, like, the built-in graphics cards for each. And obviously, with AMD's expertise in the graphics industry and not having Intel's newer graphics standards that they're building up right now, it's obviously that the graphics department for these internal CPUs are going to be really good. Certainly. And uh, it's... Um, it's uh, that, and... Uh, you know, I... I um, you get a kind of um, you know, handed to that, you know, the uh, idea of um, because uh, integrated graphics have come a long way, and um, AMD, um, at least here, they build it around making it very, uh, you know, um. They, like they build around the idea of, uh, um, excuse me, they build around the idea of uh, making a um, efficient uh, processing, you know, processor uh, around such little, um, gosh, around such little uh, you know, heat heat headroom, I guess, you know. Right, and uh, yes, I, I know you, you. You literally had to get down on the floor, and <laughs> I, I'm I'm literally I, I'm looking over in the corner of my eye trying to describe <laughs> this while also being very afraid of what's around the corner when you 
when I see your head pop up out of the frame of the corner of the <laughs> camera, I, I, I just... Oh, God. Uh, so, AMD um, has built this around making a, you know, a... Uh, because on, on, you know, laptops and stuff, there is a little headroom, especially with how closed off a lot of uh, modern chassis are. And, um, you know, uh, it's, I know a lot of, uh, laptops have this mode where they switch from, uh, integrated to, uh, dedicated graphics and, um, on just, and this is to save power and, you know, even thermal headroom at, at, uh, some points. I feel like, um, this just being integrated graphics running at such a low TDP because um, the higher you know core count CPUs generally use more wattage. Um, I feel like uh, the ability to reach um, on integrated graphics alone, you know, uh, the performance of these games, you know, because. Um, I know Shadow of the Tomb Raider is used in a lot of uh, benchmarks, and um, the fact that it can hit around 60 FPS at least, um, it's very, uh, it's very stunning, you know. Um, I. I'm just uh, uh, excited to see. You know, I'm, I'm not very much of a laptop, um, uh, you know, person. But I mean, considering that this technology um, has, we even see it in the Steam Deck. You know, uh, I could only hope that it leads to a future of more any energy efficient laptops that can play games. Um, well, you know, and perform other tasks well. Mm -hmm. I mean, honestly, a lot of these, uh, these bars are very, uh, you know, you can look at this and, oh yeah, that's a graph, you know, stuff like that. Um, but, uh, you know, just, just looking at a graph isn't really enough to really show you. Looking at, uh, how this architecture like ticks, you know, how, how this, uh, these chips like tick, you know, looking at it, uh, is a much more compelling argument to me. Uh, it also has to deal with, uh, like Ram configuration, you know, if your Ram is not, um, high enough clock speed, you know, or you don't enable XMP, it can be choked, especially on integrated graphics, you know, um, so there's also that. I wonder if DDR5, like low power DDR5, the for the soda models. I wonder if they tested it on on the um, on that or just DDR4. Um, right. There's so many other factors uh, you have to think about with these tests. That's just like you know, obviously DDR5 RAM is hard to 
fine right now, so DDR4 probably was what they would could have used, but hey, I mean, at least we have graphic cards that are capable for these three lovely figures to rock out to a 60 frame per second. <laughs> <laughs> and ladies and gentlemen, this is why Blue Alpaca. <laughs> this is what Alpaca thinks every time I see anime. Every time. I... What were they thinking? Anyways, sorry. a freaking out Pac-Man out of ten. What were they thinking? <laughs> All right, everybody, and let's get out with our next topic here. This is involving some news regarding Twitter. Oh, yes. The bots have taken over. Right. So now we're at a point where, you know, Twitter is now experimenting with the idea that there's going to label Twitter accounts that are bots. So when we get there in a second, we're going to see a GIF of this. And you'll see that they are going to start labeling bot accounts with a special label on them. And once this computer starts, and I think we're slowly getting there. I think my internet's being a piece of crap. But anyways, when you go here, you're going to see that besides my thing being a loading piece of crap... Say, get your bots in here. Remember when we chatted about all things good bots? Well, now we are celebrating the bots who take a positive contribution to Twitter all over the world. And you can see here, they now did it. There's going to be an automated bot label on Twitter accounts that are bots. And honestly, there are numeral, numerous different bot accounts on Twitter that are actually kind of entertaining. I know there are some... Twitter bot accounts that are like they'll post the same thing literally every single freaking week. Um, uh, there's a uh, Twitter out there apparently that uh, uh, shows uh, Super Mario Rule 34 specifically featuring Bowser. Don't follow it, please. I'm not. I'm just like. I'm not surprised anymore with what people come up with for Twitter. I mean, who expects a show that's gaming technology news that roasts anime and hillbillies and everything else to exist? You know what else exists? Food of Bowser. No, I'm just kidding. Anyways. Um, uh, also, there's a picture. Um, of somebody saying thank you, and it's Mark Zuckerberg eating a uh, sub while smirking. Uh, take your jokes while you can, I guess. Right. <laughs> I don't know how far down it is, but I'm like, I'm not going to bother with that. Yeah, it's alright. It's just like two tweets down, but it's alright. Or three, actually. But whatever. <sighs> oh, I see. Um. Right. It's like some. But anyways, besides that, 
Um, we can always just go onwards to the next article, which details that they're going to start accepting cryptocurrencies for tipping creators. I'm going to make a Twitter account. Sorry. <laughs> so as you can see here on Twitter supporters, have you set up tips on your profile yet so it's easy for people to show the support? Yes, cool. We've added Paga, Barter by Flutterwave, Paytm, and the option to add your Ethereum address. And we all know what Ethereum is. Oh, yes. Mmm, that cryptocurrency hype. Yep. My GPU is mining right now. Woo! You're trying to make that alpaca coin a reality, aren't you? No. No. <laughs> if I ever get, like, affiliated on, like, Twitch, I guess, <laughs> that'll be the currency you use to, um, for watch time. For, like, making me drink, like, uh, liquefied warheads. I don't know. Or having to make a tier where you have to listen to Baby Metal for an entire stream. But yeah, obviously... Um, where's the uh, exit button? Um, <laughs> oh, yes. Uh, it is uh, right here. Uh, up. Mm, yes, space. I'm stuck in the fucking ceiling, god damn it. Motherfucker. This is what you fucking get. Oh. Fuck, I fell. <laughs> Brain injured. Right. What were we doing now? Uh, talking about Twitter accepting cryptocurrency for tipping creators. Isn't Twitter like that band that like has like females that like do metal, but it's like I don't know. My <laughs> head, my head hurts. I think you're talking about Bandmate, which is the same band that also collaborated with Herman Lee of Dragon Force, aka Mister Dragon Force. Oh, uh, is it? And is it like? Uh, is uh, it, it like uh, you know the the Blizzard, um, the Twix Blizzard, um, that thing that hillbillies eat? <laughs> and, uh, uh, I thought hillbilly was like barbecue feud and hot dogs and burgers, like, and try to be super America. I don't know. I really don't know. <laughs> All right. Honestly, you know, this is a pretty nice to have Twitter give more options to tip creators, even if a lot of people hate NFTs. I think that's all I got to say about this one, because, I mean, we could confuse Alpaca further by having Kickstarter having a response to blockchain crowdfunding. Um, I mean, that's, you know, that's up to you, I guess. I mean, it's just, you know, the risks are real. <laughs> Anyways, yeah, uh, we won't make changes to Kickstarter without you. Um, so yeah, they're 
they announced that they were supporting uh, the development of a decentralized crowdfunding protocol. Mm-hmm. Um, so pretty much you can just pay in NFT, Ethereum, blockchain, uh, metaverse, coins. <laughs> uh, sorry, uh, gotta get all those buzzwords in. <laughs> sorry. Uh, anyways. Um, and big uh, sad from the community. Um, not really. What do you mean? By not really, I mean, I thought you meant like the big sad for the community. Is like, Kickstarter not doing cryptocurrency, blockchain stuff now? Oh, that's not a big sad. The initial announcement, oh yeah, that was a big sad. Oh yeah, big sad, and then they decided uh, that they wouldn't because, well, they're only as good as what they're used to build. It's our responsibility to make sure that they serve creators, backers, and the entire creative ecosystem. And we are designing thoughtfully with full awareness of the challenges. So Kickstarter. Um, we have many ideas about our new protocol can help creators and backers. We should thought a white paper would be the best way to communicate these thoughts. It's clear to us now, though, that before we do anything else, we need to listen to your feedback so we can better address your concerns. Um... So they will not move kickstarter.com to the new protocol unless it has been tested. Um, uh, um, Oh, there's a uh, public benefit corporation uh, that they're building um, through an independent organization. It will be separate from Kickstarter, but similar. It It will develop its own clear mission and guiding charter. Um, they are committed to limiting their environmental impact as much as that can be. By that, um, I mean that's a statement that every single freaking NFT ambition has been saying for the last like few times. Look at Ubisoft. Cough, cough. Yes, certainly. Cough, cough, cough. Far Cry 6. No, I'm just kidding. I <laughs> um, uh, believe this new toolkit can help address long-standing challenges and crowdfunding, but we're just at the beginning. So, pretty much they're, like, just... So, basically, they're keeping Kickstarter the way it was and creating a brand new version of it so they can still use this blockchain stuff but without the Kickstarter name. Mm. Ah, I see. Crypto... Crypto Kickstarter. Ah, imagine using uh, your imagine using your what what one person called Chucky e. Cheese coins to back your favorite ambitious projects. Well, if I could use Chucky e. Cheese coins, then like, <laughs> I don't know. You know what's funny about Chucky e. Cheese coins though is like, I think you can still use them in like vending machines and they'll actually work as a quarter, but <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Right. I, I'd love to try that. Mm. Right, we we'll have we all have to make a field trip to Chuck E. Cheese. Yeah. Um. I mean, at least, at least the backlash isn't just, um, you know, Kickstarter. Hundreds of Salesforce employees object to NFT plans. Oh, yes, absolutely. So, pretty much what's happening here 
is once I get the article up, we can get going on this one because this is actually a pretty interesting one too. More crypto hate, everybody. Woo! Woo! Oh, we did it simultaneously. <laughs> the best timing ever. <sighs> At least on my end, it was simultaneously. Yeah, about the lag on your end. But anyways, so hundreds of Salesforce employees globally are billing against plans by U.S. enterprise software giant to enter the non-fungible token market. According to internal documents by Thomas Reuters Foundation, Salesforce told employees last week it was exploring a series of NFT initiatives, including a NFT cloud, which could help companies around the world create and sell NFTs, a kind of digital asset often linked to an image or piece of artwork, which is usually bought with cryptocurrencies. More than 400 employees have signed on to an open letter, which was penned after the company's announcement and being shared in internal messaging channels. And they're saying how it is addressed to Salesforce co-CEOs and raised concerns about the environmental and economic impact entities, calling them unregulated, highly speculative financial assets. And it goes all around just briefly explaining everything while here. And then it's also mentioned how one Salesforce employee who signed the letter threatened to quit if the NFT was realized. I'll find a company that lives by its data values. And some employees expressed shock in internal chats that the plants were now shut as Salesforce debuted a major advertisement at the Super Bowl. And other workers voiced support for the plan, saying Salesforce could help to responsibly expand the NFT ecosystem and guide its customers through the emerging market. And it's saying, based on this, we welcome our employees' feedback and are proud to foster a culture that trusts and empowers them to raise diverse points of view. Uh, spoiler alert, this doesn't seem like that. <laughs> I- I'm sorry, what... Uh, it's a big backlash um diverse points of view i mean it's as diverse as well it's carbon footprint also it consumes energy also heat is energy also we have a there's a greenhouse gas or something you know this is like saying, oh, you know, <laughs> this is like taking different points of the actual problem. This is not diverse points of view. <laughs> oh, hell no. Know. Like, you see this article, it's like, oh, hey, uh, everyone's just getting fired. Not everyone fired, but everyone's just petitioning to stop this shit. And the, the CEOs and executives are just leaving a coy response. Like, PR speak, essentially. Yeah. Uh. It just shows the ever-growing of more people that are not up- not supporting NFTs at all. No. And, I mean, at least in a... You know, at least as they are now, as they stand, they're not what... Uh, they're not what we would call uh, supportable. At least a lot of people would, you know, agree. Right. They're not a, uh, agreeable. Um, they're not an agree- agreeable good or service. <laughs> right. 
because they don't exist. Mm-hmm. Sorry. Exactly. <sighs> and if we look at the if we look at the there's a settlement that happened with BlockFi as well. And we look over here, it says BlockFi agrees to pay $100 million in penalties and pursue registration of its crypto lending product. I mean, it's a small bump or brace for it. This is going to be a bit of a long article, but we're going to try and get to the bullet points as much as you can. It says the Securities Exchange today charged BlockFi Lending LLC with failing to register the offers and sales of its retail crypto lending product. In this first-of-its-kind action, the SEC also charged BlockFi with filing the registration provisions of the Investment Company Act of 1940. To settle the SEC's charges, BlockFi agreed to pay a $50 million penalty, ceased its unregistered offers and sales of lending product, BlockFi interest accounts, and attempting to bring its business with the provisions of the Investment Company Act within 60 days. BlockFi's parent company also announced that it intends to register under the Security Act of 1933 the offer and sale of a new lending product. Imperial Actions announced today BlockFi agreed to pay an additional $50 million in fines to 32 states to settle similar charges. And they're saying this is the first case of its kind with respect to crypto lending platforms. This was said by SEC Chair Gary Gensler. Today's settlement makes clear that crypto markets must comply with time-tested securities laws, such as the Security Act of 1933 and the Investment Company Act of 1940. It further demonstrates the Commission's willingness to work with crypto platforms to determine how they can come to compliance with those laws. I'd like to thank and commend our remarkable SEC staff and state regulators for their efforts and collaboration on the settlement. And... You can see here that crypto lending platforms offering securities like BlockFi's BIAs should take media notice of today's resolution and come to, to compliance with the federal securities laws. And adhere to registration and disclosure requirements is critical providing investors with information transparency they need to make well-informed investment decisions to crypto asset space. And yeah, so it's pretty much saying that, hey, crypto guys, you got to make sure you follow our security laws here. I guess that's fair. Every every other, you know, every other thing needs to be audited sometimes. You know. Mm-hmm. Every industry eventually gets regulated, like, you see yeah. what happens to the railroad industry, and then the oil industry, and every other industry. So everything eventually gets regulated. Mm-hmm. And there we go. Internet yeah. is somewhat regulated in the States, at least, but it's mostly free. What? So. <laughs> that's, uh, that's something, I guess. I mean, then again, in terms of freedom of speech, you know, you go to, like, social media accounts and shit. And it's, like, you have all these people saying that, oh, hey, um... We're promoting this speech and not this speech and all this other crap. And if you're more right-leaning, then obviously you're going to take this as an act of censorship. And people on the left-leaning are viewing this as an act of protecting harmful speech from existing. But that's a bit more of a 
odd card. I mean, obviously, as per recordings, it's 12.53 in the morning, and naturally, we're going to say some really stupid shit. Yeah. And we kind of lose conscience. So, take some of the stuff we say with a grain of salt. But when we talk about the news, it's mostly factual, at least. I would say, like, think so. Based on what we read here. Mm-hmm. But, obviously, having this, you know, be regulated should be a good thing. And then, the BlockFi organization responded to this by saying that they are actually pleased to share today that we have reached an agreement with the U.S. federal and state regulators outlining a clear platform for BlockFi and Americans to enjoy crypto interest. Hair resolution outlines the fire points of agreement, and we wanted to share some additional context with y'all. At BlockFi, we envision a world where blockchain powered financial products and services accelerate prosperity worldwide by providing more access and better economic outcomes. We are proud to have reached this agreement, which creates a foundational path forward for our U.S. clients and the wider crypto industry. And they're saying that they're going to, the existing block by interest accounts will continue to receive interest. And then once the block by yield registration is declared effective by SEC, BIs of U.S. clients will be exchanged for block by yield and you will be able to add incremental assets to your account unless clients instruct otherwise. All U.S. clients will receive an email in product communications with further details on change their client experience if you have questions. So, yeah, obviously, they seem like they're actually pretty pleased with this, surprisingly. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't think we have much else to say on this one. So, we're going to quickly move on to the next topic that we have, which is more NFT BS. NFTs Sorry. <laughs> More NFT stuff. And by that, I mean the UK sees over $1.9 million in tax fraud. You tell here, UK authorizes sees. UK authorities sees NFTs over $1.9 million in tax fraud. Yeah, they actually clearly added extra S there that they needed to be. God damn it. Sorry. <laughs> I, I just... NFTs is. <laughs> anyway, so like if you look, said. Yeah, if you look over here, it says BBC News reports HM Revenue and Customs has seized three NFTs as part of investigation into potential tax fraud. The suspects allegedly used 250 fake companies, false identities, prepaid phones, VPNs, and other techniques to hide themselves as they sought to defraud the UK tax office of 1.4 million euros, or roughly $1.9 million. HMRC obtained a court order to take the unvalued NFTs as well as crypto assets worth roughly 5,000 euros or $6,760. And they say this is the first time UK law enforced enforcement has seized NFTs. And they say the investigation is ongoing. And obviously, as we could tell here, it's shown that a lot of things like people are valuing NFTs like a crazy motherfucker. When that 1.4 million euros could probably get turned to 500 euros in like 10 seconds. Oh, yes. Certainly. Uh, so, I mean, this is, uh, to, you know, to me, it's a little, uh, a little concerning, you know, that, uh, 
you know, people are taking it that seriously that they would... I mean, I see this as, like, another, uh, you know, tax loophole sort of thing that was eventually caught as, you know, fraud, you know? Yeah, like, you can kind of see it here that they're literally using... Now we're at the point where people can use NFTs as little a way to if not only escape potential tax fraud, but to make more money on top of it, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Scary. It is, like... And, yeah, uh, you can see on here, too, like, they're saying that investigation is still ongoing. However, economic crime deputy director Nick Sharp believe the seizures would serve as a warning to others would-be crypto fraud per perpetrators. So, hopefully... You know, and I say that the lack of regulation and other protections around NFTs had led to a significant problem with fraud and scams, including self-sales to boot prices and fake or plagiarized tokens. Sent recently halted most transactions due to rampant sales of bogus tokens, while marketplace giant OpenSea has been scrambling to develop safeguards after 80% of NFTs minted through a free tool were discovered to be fakes, copies, or spam. So, having a lot of fake tokens means that yeah, you're probably spending money on something that could likely be fake and not really have value, and that could be problematic. Yep, it's uh, it's just the uh, the trust in um, you know, something that isn't really, you know, a centralized thing, something that you you know you're putting your trust into. You now it's a bit it's sad. It really is. You know, it's sad that this is just another way to, um, uh, you know, abuse a, a trend, you know? Hey, at least I know that, hey, this Pac-Man also does not think this is a good time. He's out of parachute trying to leave the planet. The paraglider. He wants to leave the planet. And apparently Alpaca does too. And I'll blame him. Right, let's see what I talk about how Uber want to accept cryptocurrency. Limited power. <laughs> Anyways, yeah. Rubber duck get hammer. <laughs> the rubber ducks. Oh man. Match had a rubber duck. <laughs> I had a rubber ducky in a future episode, like an actual physical rubber ducky. That'd be fun. But now it's in the bathtub, floating about. <laughs> hey, it I mean... Now... At least I know that this is real. It is now on an Uber ride from... Fuck! <laughs> <laughs> it is now on an on a Uber... Uh, ride to uh 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 some semiconductor tower i guess i don't know <laughs> well, we're talking about that in the next ep next topic but anyways so that saying it uber users will eventually be able to pay for rides using cryptocurrency however the company is essentially taking the same tack as tesla by waiting for change that will lower transaction fees and make it more environment friendly and they're saying is uber going to accept crypto in the future Absolutely, at some point, as the exchange mechanism becomes less expensive, 
more environmentally friendly, I think you'll see us lean into crypto a bit more. And saying that if Uber does, it'll join a number of firms that are accept Bitcoin, most notably Microsoft, AT&T, and Wikipedia. Yeah, I could apparently donate crypto to Wikipedia. That's amazing. The price of a coffee <laughs> is now the price of one Ethereum. <laughs> donate now and support freedom. Sorry. Freedom to edit this article however you see fit under uh, the moderation of somebody else. Sorry. Uh, Alpaca is a master of going through source code and making funny change to articles. He would do that. Yeah. Like, uh... I could, like, uh, make this article um, just be a, a copy pasta about, uh, the anatomy of a loaf of bread. <laughs> and I could screenshot it and do an April Fool's prank on Hydro. <laughs> he could do that, but go back to the main topic at hand, you know. I mean, it's good for the consumer to have other options to pay for rides. But at the same time, crypto is right now currently very volatile. So that's all I have to say on that. Yeah, I mean, um, you could be paying for a crypto for a ride through crypto, and then as soon as your ride arrives, they're like, "Oh yeah, um, by the way, you owe us an extra few bucks because it just the uh, the blockchain just updated. Yeah, you gotta pay us a little bit more now." <laughs> You know, actually, it's a serious point. Like, if could that actually happen? You know, I wouldn't be surprised if that's some like loophole that companies would abuse. <laughs> yeah, I, don't know. I hear you though. That could be very interesting though to see this. Like, if that actually was the case. Oh, but it's a minor thing, but nothing crazy. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of aspects of crypto that just the two of us alone don't really know much about too well. And we're hoping that eventually we could have someone more knowledgeable about crypto be on the show and teach us more about this. Yeah, that'd be nice. I, you know, I, I, I get that. I, I mean, honestly, I'm afraid of being like a big boomer who's like, eh, I'm going to yell at this cloud for being new <laughs> or something. You know, I, I don't want to be like that, but... <sighs> no, it... It makes us feel like that when all we know about NFTs is that they hurt the environment due to the massive amount of energy that they use and all this other – and that it's currently being used for mostly for investment projects rather than having more practical applications. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's kind of what makes it less uh, attractive. Right. Like, a thing that like, – being able to use it for things is great, but when right now it's mostly being used as investment tools, like assets, ugh, it makes it not very attractive at all. Yeah, not unless it's, like, doing something for, like, the semiconductor shortage. I mean, like, it's, it's, it's doing the opposite. We don't have any GPUs, and everyone's buying them up. Scalpers, you know, miners and all that stuff. I... I 
God, I just wish we had some people helping us with semiconductor stuff, you know? Yes. Like, and I wish we had more. Finally, we could stop talking about NFTs and talk about something that's a bit more interesting to the two of us. Something tangible. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah. So it's saying that Intel could soon announce a nearly $6 billion acquisition that would get fledgling foundry business a boost. The chip giant is reportedly close to clinching a deal to purchase Israeli chip company Tower Semiconductor. It can be announced sometime this week unless the talks suddenly fall apart. Tower, which has a market value of around $3.6 billion, produces various types of chips for clients across industries, including automakers, medical, and industrial equipment manufacturers. It also said that it has seven fabrication facilities located in Israel, Italy, U.S., Japan, making 6-inch, 8-inch, and 12-inch chips. Tom's Hardware says the manufacturing process it uses aren't cutting edge, but the chips it makes does, don't need the latest technology anyways. Tower only needs to reliably and regularly generate large volumes of chips. So, naturally, having a larger company like Intel being able to have us is great. And look at this. An update on February 15th says that Intel has announced that it's acquired Tower Semiconductor for $5.4 billion or $3 per share in cash. Company CEO Pat Gelsinger said a statement, Tower Specialty Technology Portfolio, Geographic Reach, e-commerce relationships and services first operations will help scale Intel's foundry services and advance our goal of becoming a major provider of foundry cap capacity globally. And honestly, not the case, Intel with its vast amount of cash compared to, say, this company could give it life and actually increase, you know, semiconductor assembly across the world. Quite certainly. I, I'm happy about this, you know, just... A, a bit more into the um you know ability to produce more just to keep this drought from you know uh being a a thing you know like really i just can't wait for this uh semiconductor shortage to be over with and i could finally you know enjoy the uh uh the uh rite of passage of nowadays building a computer <laughs> i don't know What's yeah yeah. And it's funny too to keep in mind that Intel launched its foundry services back in 2021 when it committed $20 billion to build two Arizona factories. Explained that it will be run as its own business unit. Earlier this year, the company also revealed its plan to build a massive semiconductor facility in Ohio that's hoping to become the large silicon manufacturing location on the planet. So, not only have we discussed this Ohio factory earlier in the show, but to see them mm -hmm. further pursuing this. Is actually what makes this more exciting and more entertaining. The thought of Intel becoming a probably a severe competitor to something like Foxconn. Mm-hmm. Yep. And we all know how dominant Foxconn is, because my God. Um. Let's get into some more entertaining topics now. We get to get to some of the more unique stuff. Like, how about nano engineer sealer for concrete? Yeah. Um, it, yeah, we were t discussing this a little bit more um, earlier. And I, you know, I, I, this is uh, interesting to me. 
Um, I'll let you continue on, but I, I've got some interesting points about this. And a callback to an earlier uh, smaller news topic. Yeah, so um, it's saying that a nanomaterials engineer penetrating my Washington State University researchers is able to better protect concrete from moisture and salt, which are the two most damaging factors in crumbling concrete infrastructures in northern states, a.k.a. where both of us live. Oh, yes. Damn you, snow. <laughs> the novel sewer showed a 75% improvement in repelling water and a 44% improvement in reducing salt damage in laboratory studies compared to a commercial sealer. The work could provide an additional wave to address the challenge of aging bridges and pavements in the U.S. We focused on one of the main culprits that compromise the integrity and durability of concrete, which is moisture. If you keep concrete dry, the vast majority of durability problems go away. So as you can see here, they're trying to focus heavily on moisture, which in the, like I said, in the northern states where we get a good chunk of rain and especially snow, and you have to deal with the salt in the roads. Oh, that's that's kind of an important thing. That's all according to Jianmin Chi, who is a professor of the Department of Civil and Environmental Engineering. And, and they're saying how much of the nation's critical infrastructure, such as the U.S. highway system, was built from the 1950s to the 70s. And it's now reaching the end of its lifetime for which was designed. And they're saying about 8% of approximately 600,000 bridges in the U.S. are considered structurally deficient. And one out of every five miles of highway pavement is in poor condition. And the problem exacerbated in cold climate by multiple freeze and thaw cycles and by the increased use of the icer salts in recent decades, which can degrade the concrete. And they also mentioned yeah. that concrete, even though it seems like solid rock, is basically a sponge when you look at it under a microscope, it's highly porous, non-homogeneous composite material. And they'll, they go to describe that topical sealers have emerged as one tool to protect concrete. And many state departments of transportation use them to protect bridge decks in particular, which seem to suffer the worst from salt damage. The sealers on the market provide some level of protection, but moisture is often able to make its way into the concrete. I say in the study, the research added two nanomaterials, graphene oxide and montmorillonate. Jesus, that's a word. <laughs> Nanoclay to a commercial silicon based sealer. The nanomaterials densified the microstructure of the concrete, making it more difficult for liquid water to penetrate. They also formed a barrier against the intrusion of water vapor and other gases that tend to make their way into concrete. The nanomaterials also protected from the concrete from the physical and chemical attacks of icing salts. The penetrating sealer is designed to be multifunctional as it can also serve as a curing aid for fresh concrete. And they're also saying it's going to be more environmentally friendly and safer for workers, which is great. Since traditionally, when you switch from an organic solvent to water, you sacrifice the sealer's performance, which demonstrated that the use of nanomaterials mitigates that reduction in performance. So, oof. Obviously, this is all great news to hear. That yeah, certainly. And uh, I think this, and you remember the uh, regenerating concrete from uh, an earlier episode? Mm-hmm. 
Um, let me look it up again. But, uh, you know, it, uh, I wonder if they could, uh, you know, um, could, like, I don't know, like, uh, mix the, uh, mix this, uh, it's like a bacteria, mm -hmm. um, and mix with that, it can heal itself, and alongside the, uh, you know, the usual, um, um, and this, uh, graphene oxide, and, uh, I think it's pronounced Montmorillonite, um, the nanoclay, whatever it's called. Yeah. Um. I think that makes sense, yeah, Montmorillonite, yeah, but obviously it's sort of long, unusual word that it's, you kind of double on it the first time. Yeah, no, I, I'm not faulting you for that, it's, I can't even pronounce it looking at it uh but like uh, um but yeah i think this uh solution that we're talking about right now if it could be combined with that bacteria that regenerates man i i don't know like uh maybe provided if these bacteria don't kill organic life then yeah this would be great if they could merge together yeah um you know, um, it says, uh, it says stuff like, uh, they can survive harsh environment of concrete, um, and she'll be activated by water, blah, blah, blah. Um, and it's fed by, like, limestone. <laughs> uh, so yeah, the combined limestone with whatever else concrete this concrete is made out of with all the chemicals that is that's gonna be a very interesting blend yeah certainly i i wonder if it would be like even useful for like uh just general use stuff like i, I want i would love to see the day where um like in the military application um soldiers would instead of like have sandbags and a concrete that can literally repair itself through the microorganisms living inside of the solution itself you know i think that would be pretty cool and also to add to that uh kevlar stuff that i think we were talking about in earlier episode too right just thinking about many solutions that this uh because you can't just invent a useless product and expect it to be a phenomenon, you know. It, mm -hmm. It's, it's got to have purpose and ease of use and a few other things alongside it, you know, that make it a generally uh, popular thing, you know. Mm -hmm. um, but anyways, I would love to see this be used in multiple applications, you know. You know how, like, I'm in video games... Uh, some of the vehicles self-repair on on-rail segments. Something like that, I guess, as well. Right. Um, but while we have this innovations within, you know, construction and infrastructure, well, what to say, there is another innovation that some people might be a little disappointed with, and we'll see, and you'll see why.
And because, ladies and gentlemen, I'm presenting you with a burger flipping robot. And they're saying that. Is that you can count burger flipping robots as one of the pandemic innovations that is here to stay. White Castle announced today that it will be bringing Flippy 2, a robot chef that can essentially perform the same task as a huge team of fry cooks, to 100 more locations this year. This amounts to roughly a third of White Castle restaurants world nationwide, so it's likely Flippy may become a permanent addition to this burger chain's workforce. And they mentioned how last fall the burger chain teamed up with Misa Robotics, the make, which the maker, the program its Chicago land location. And it's saying it's unlikely the average White Castle patron will notice the new robots when they first arrive. Since Swiffy 2 is designed to perform the back, back of the house kitchen functions, that's what, where you'll find them. The robot uses AI to identify the type of food, such as burgers, chicken fingers, or fries, picks it up, cooks it, put puts its own fry basket and finally puts it in a hot holding area. But it's possible your White Castle order may come out slightly faster than usual. Flippy 2 can dole out 60 baskets of food an hour, according to their website, or roughly 300 burgers a day. And they're saying that Flippy 2 can operate entirely without human intervention. So, yeah. And it's top of two... Yo, I feel like this robot will be useful. I mean, you're going to have some of the older generations coming out. And you're like, but where are the jobs? Where are the people's jobs? And we're going to be like, well, we have a labor shortage right now. And they have to resort to every means necessary. Yes. And uh, um, even with the labor, labor shortages, you know, beforehand when there wasn't a labor shortage... Or at least, you know, in normal times, I guess, in a sense. A lot of people's arguments were that automation would, um, you know, in a sense, ruin uh, the amount of jobs available. But um, the thing about this is that this frees up um, something very simple. And other people could be doing more complicated things. Like, uh, um, in this case, uh, you know, th this, um, this robot apparently can, uh, cook stuff. But who's gonna, you know, I, I mean, obviously there's people who are gonna serve it, but this is gonna make getting the food out faster because you don't have to worry about somebody, you know, messing up or something like that of course there's going to be somebody observing the robot of course just so it doesn't malfunction um but this you know robot um creates the food and somebody serves it this is going to make it easy um to automate the you know cooking process there's less waste you know less uh mess ups you know um and also, you don't really have to worry about somebody uh, being, you know, have somebody having a bad day and taking it out on, you know, you by, I don't know, leaving like a nail clipping in the food or something. Something like a horror story like that. Um, but 
looking at like history and stuff like that, innovations like ATMs and stuff, now we don't have to have tellers. We do have some tellers still, but now ATMs automate most of the um, ability to, uh, you know, have more tellers working at a location. That means more locations can be built because there's less people needed to be employed. So now that you have more banks, you know, popping up, um, those people need to fill in those jobs. Um, of course, there's also people who monitor the stuff. There's people who work on these, you know, uh, machines. Um, you know, and, uh, you know, accountants and tellers, you know, they, they uh, you know, with, like, with an accountant and stuff, they don't have to worry about number crunching as much. You know, the uh, counting, the change is more automated, more easy, you know, less... Uh, you know, there, there's a machine doing it now. And while there's a bit of error sometimes, who knows, um, the accountant doesn't have to worry about it being human error. And also doesn't have to worry about, you know, doing that and uh, can spend time, um, you know, with, like, customer service and stuff like that. Uh, like... Um, washing machines. Let's look of like washing machines and stuff. Now, it's automated, and anybody can run the local, you know, washing machine. You know, laundromat. Um, they just buy a ton of laundromats or laundromat, uh, like washing machines and dryers and stuff. And uh, there are just more businesses, you know and more people that have to attend those businesses stuff like that so i i wouldn't really look at this as a, a scary thing you know when there's a point in life where we don't have to really do anything job wise well well you know that's something i had a question you know like uh, will we all get fat and useless and automate walking and not be able to you know do this or that and rely on this stuff so much i don't know yeah but, it's like you draw the question like what wally presents where like people are always yeah. all these automated cars and then it's like they do they all the city really move at all and robots do all the work and on top of it too yeah, in the in the future, we may see a situation where if a lot of these places go to like you know say robotics, do like technology doing everything, we could see a situation in which people the only people that would be highly needed are going to be those that know technology and can repair technology. But then once the machines are fully self sufficient enough that you don't need human intervention, then you get to a point where it's like okay, now what do we do with all the people who have nothing to really do? Do we move everybody out to farms? But then again, you have machinery doing everything. And then it's like, okay. That's like the only positions left will be like business positions. Yeah. And I, I see where that's a scary point. But we're not at that point yet. We're at a point where 
you know, you got stuff that's just automating little things that aren't exactly, I, I'd say, you know, uh, taking my job sort of stuff. Yeah. <laughs> the know? only thing that kind of stinks for it is for Billy, little Billy, who is 16 and wants to get a part-time job. And by that, I mean like a high schooler, little summer job painting the walls of a local business <laughs> right leave it um i mean uh well if 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 he's gonna um worry about that then um there are plenty of other positions he can um do um he can uh i don't know uh He can be a, I guess, a shelf stalker. <laughs> um, but then again, a machine will probably eventually have that covered, automated. But what he could do, however, is be able to make emergency calls on Skype. See, man, Breath of the Wild. Anyways. <laughs> Uh, poor Billy. Billy. Billy Bass. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, oh, yes. Uh, the emergency call things. Yeah. Because um, whenever you opened it, um, it said that it wouldn't be able to, uh, you know, um, use, be used for emergency calling. Now it doesn't say that if you ever open up Skype again. Um, so, yeah. Yes. Why? I do not know. But yeah. hey. So, pretty much what I'm saying is that despite having a new version of Teams, my personal use, Microsoft's still updating Skype on a somewhat regular basis. Skype version 8.80 was recently released, and it comes with a few improvements to the experience on both mobile and PC. The biggest new capability, however, is the ability to make emergency calls using Skype in the United States. It says here that if you've ever tried calling a phone number from Skype, you've probably seen the warning that emergency calls aren't supported in the past. It's been that way for years, but it looks like that it's changing, and... It has some benefits to boot. No, can you call 911 using Skype? So you can use your PC if your phone isn't at hand, for example. But Skype can also share your location with emergency responders automatically. This feature is disabled by default to respect your privacy. But they're saying that it could be useful in an emergency, so you can enable it in the Skype settings. It could make it easier for responders to find you if you don't know your location or you're unable to share it for one reason or another. I mean, grantedly, I mean, not granted, Bob. Granted, you're probably going to have your phone on hand anyway, so I don't necessarily see the point in calling 911 on there, but I could see, like, the situation which you don't know where your phone is, but you're nearby, someone's nearby a computer, and they could be like, oh, 911. Done. Yeah, certainly I see that, um, too, because, you know, it's hard to lose your computer. You know, when it's a desktop, it's hard to lose it when it's just been there and sitting there on the shelf or something or underneath your desk or something, you know, and it's easily to just, you know, slap the space bar, type in your pin or something, just turn it on and do that if you absolutely have to, um, if you really can't find your phone, 
I see that uh, being a use. Um, but I do get it. Yeah, it's very niche, though. You know, um, th though there have been times where if the phone is somewhere else and it's an emergency, like a home invasion, maybe I see a use for that. And, you know, you can plug in your headphone and, you know, do it that way. But uh, I don't know. I mean, I, I like this, you know, hey, I, I don't really use Skype. We don't use Skype anymore, but it's... I mean, I'm fine with with more quality of life stuff, you know. They're also saying that there are other new features in this patch too, such as the ability to zoom in on a screen share during a video call. Something that we had a tough time too earlier on Discord land. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. I was using a uh, phone and... Uh, Hydrowave screen shared something, but it, you know, it doesn't always translate too well when it's a desktop view. For when you're viewing it on your phone, it's very tiny, and I can, like, pinch to zoom, you know. And they also added custom reactions for Skype on mobile devices, and a couple of features have been enhanced. So you can now record voice messages that last up to five minutes. It's a two-minute minute limit before. And it got light mode. But. Yeah. Other than that though. I mean. These improvements definitely seem nice. Especially being able to use 911 calls. Despite it being a relatively niche use. Certainly. Um. Yeah. Right. But I know what else is pretty. I mean. For us, at least, it's useful for us. This is more so a news update for us and not so much for the public. But I figured we'd at least share it anyways for those of you who are also podcast enthusiasts. All right. Lay it on me. Or them. Right. Well, actually, you can kind of say that both do. <laughs> both work. But anyways. So Spotify is acquiring pod sites and chartable and they're usually doing this to help advance podcast measurement for advertisers and sites for publishers and they're saying that in 2020 spotify set out to modernize podcast advertising with a set launch of streaming ad insertion then we built on this game-changing innovation with the introduction of our audio first ad marketplace the spotify audience network just last month we expanded even more through an interactive ad experience called call to action cards with these investments we're delivering impact for advertising and growth for podcast publishers like the wall street journal viacom cbs and ad large according to e-marketer annual u.s digital audio advertising revenue is poised to grow to nearly eight billion dollars and of that 2.7 billion for podcast advertising alone by 2025 and that's why they're saying today they're excited to announce our acquisitions of two podcast technology companies, Podsites and Chartable. And they're saying what they are. Podsites is a leading podcast advertising measurement service that helps advertisers better measure and scale their podcast advertising. Chartable, meanwhile, is a podcast analytics platform that enables publishers to know and grow their audience through promotional attribution and audience insight tools. And they give a small 
glimpse of what this means. So, as you can see, so one of the things they're going to say is uploading measurement for podcast advertising. And they're just saying a couple of the small things, but they're saying that one of the things here is that according to recent advertiser, perception survey, measurement, and attribution remain the two biggest unsolved challenges for podcast advertisers. Spotify plans to solve this pain point through the acquisition of pod sites. As part of Spotify, PodSets will be able to utilize Spotify's technology intelligence to bring more accurate measurement and actionable insights to podcast advertisers around the world. In short, with the acquisition of PodSites, Spotify will be able to help advertisers understand how, pack, how podcast ads drive actions that matter to their businesses. Over time, they plan to extend these measurement capabilities beyond podcasts to the full scope of the Spotify platform, including audio ads within music, video ads, and display ads. Another thing they say is that it's going to help publishers grow their business with robust insights and promotional tools. And they're saying that over the past year, we've been strengthening Megaphone's already robust offering, most recently with the acquisition of Wooshka and its broadcast-to-podcast technology to ensure it's the best place for podcast publishers to create, monetize, and measure their podcast businesses. And now the acquisition of Chartable, we will be further enhancing Megaphone's suite of tools with the integration of Chartable's audience insights and cutting-edge promotional tools, smart links, and smart promos. These tools will make it easier for publishers to turn audience insights into action and expand their listenership while ultimately growing their business. And yeah, so pretty much what they're saying is, hey, you're going to get more analytical tools and you're going to get more tools to help advertise. More so for the advertisers. Okay, I see. Um... Yeah, this is definitely very relevant towards, you know, our situation, of course, you know, because it's podcast. But, uh, I mean, you're, you mostly handle that side of that. Um, I, I know. So uh, how do you feel about it? I mean, I feel like if I this could be useful if I used Spotify's tools, but naturally I actually don't use Spotify's tools. I use a different service entirely, which that's for another day of discussion. Like, how do I actually do all this stuff behind the scenes? Yeah, definitely. Um, I'd say more it's less good to have options, I guess. I don't know. Yeah. If, even if it's not useful, or not useful right now. For definitely. us, at least. Yeah, because eventually I could see myself potentially a I think it's like a 4-1 redirect. I believe that's what it's called, where you can transfer your RSS host to a different provi like, provider if needed. But that's for another day, another time, if I decide to do that. Yeah. And so, too, like these, if you guys are using Spotify tools, this is great for, you know, all sorts of crazy stuff. Like, you could just use it to help bolster your podcast and just get really good analytics overall. If that's what this is supposed to be for and this I feel like this could potentially be really helpful yeah um but let's cap it off by exploration and space and by that I mean cosmic sales our very last article today it's not a shit post I mean Or well, what if it's the Flying Dutchman, lol? Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. It's the Flying Dutchman. 
but in spring. Mm-hmm. I mean, we're talking about here this spring. episode where the where Alpaca's favorite topic was the Wordle Battle Royale. Okay, I yes, I know. I thought it was gonna be, you know, I thought you would have saved it for this point because I was like, man, this is such a stupid concept. But I actually, it feels more like uh, elimination. You know, who can do this the fastest or stuff? I thought it was gonna be like, <laughs> lol. What's the word, dude? Is it uh, uh, B A R? Lol. Scuba Jonesy. Yeah, that's the word, dude. Lol. I thought it was gonna be fucking something dense like that. But no, it was uh, actually quite something. Oh, shit. I didn't mean to click that. I mean, hey, you know, we had a good episode. I mean, I know Pac-Man for sure. We'll definitely be using these. I know uh, Giant Ducky uh, can um, uh, take over the universe. It just keeps on going. What the fuck? How is this this big? It's like taking up the entire damn screen. God. Anyway. Let's just, like, shrink that before I, like, destroy my desktop. And I think it made your bike a little small in the process. Yes. Um, I could also make it, like, really big. <laughs> but not as big as... My brain. I'm a smart guy. All right. Anyway, so they're saying how in about four light years away there is Alpha Centauri, who is the which is the nearest other galaxy, and that to get to it, it we won't be able to get there with our current technology until a two thousand twenty two. So it's supposed to take roughly eighty thousand years to get to Alpha Centauri. Oh, well, um, uh, time to uh, uh, you know time to freeze ourselves to uh, death and uh, then wake up later. Alright. And I say that's why in 2016 late astrophysicist Stephen Hawking and investor Yuri Milner lost Breakthrough Starshot. An initiative to send microchip sized space probes over to Alpha Centauri at 20% the speed of light. Reducing the whopping travel time to a mere 20 years. Wow, this would happen in uh, when Battlefield 2042 takes place. Hopefully it'll be patched by then. <laughs> and we'll get a refund. <laughs> Anyways, you were saying? Sorry. Yeah. So they're saying there's <laughs> blueprint senders on a light sail that harnesses the power of photons, aka light particles, beamed from an Earth-based laser instead of wind like a traditional sail. Though it fit right with the sci-fi tech of Star Trek, the idea gained so much popularity that researchers everywhere began studying how to bring the contraption to fruition, hoping to produce a hyperdrive that blasts around the universe at dizzying rates. Hailing from University of Pennsylvania, once a team is tackling a big piece of the puzzle, in a pair of papers published this month in the journal Nanoletters, Researchers suggested a way to ensure these innovative spacecraft don't tear from intense laser pulses during the two-decade-long interstellar voyage. Basically, the researchers proposed the sail must billow in space's void like standard boat sails wave amid Earth winds. 
and saying how some of the light sail figures from early on were billowing, some were not, but it was not well studied. And this was from Iger Bargaton, an associate professor in the Department of Mechanical Engineering and Applied Mechanics at the University of Pennsylvania. What we did is show you definitely need billowing. We realize people haven't really looked at the mechanics of the problem, in particular, the possibility of tears. We want to make sure if and when this idea is realized, people pay attention to things that could happen during acceleration. We don't want these sales to fail. And there's a little chapter on here, too. And you can kind of see a couple pictures here. Like, there's one that looks like this. Like, with a yellow, like, rectangle around this white rectangle and blue rectangle. So they look like little rectangles. Out in space. Yeah. And... They could be confused for a Cheez-It. Hey, Cheez-It, I found your new ad. Your new ad, uh, topic. Cheez-Its in space. Sorry. <laughs> I'm being a fucking... I'm being fucking airheaded right now. I'm sorry. It's one o'clock. It's yeah, almost it's two It's fine. We're almost done. Thank God. Yeah, I know. But... Lol, Cheez-It in Spain! <laughs> anyway, so... A picture about venturing out to sea with a sail attached. The sail will heave with every gust of wind and propel the vessel forward. That propulsion happens because the wind hitting the sail bounces off, creating pressure. Light sails are that different. When the photons hit our light sail, they get reflected and they also create pressure. The exact mechanism is a little different because we're talking light versus actual molecules of air, but they create pressure nonetheless in both cases. In fact, these devices have already proven effective to a degree. In 2010, the Japanese Aerospace Exploration Agency launched a light sail mission dubbed Icarus and deemed it a success. In 2019, the experimental Light Sail 2 follows suit, run by a Kickstarter campaign started by Bill Nye and Neil deGrasse Tyson, and moved a small satellite in space using pure photon power. This is but both Icarus and Light Sail 2 use light emanating from the sun, in contrast to breakthrough Starshot's vision of laser beams. Though sunlight reduces the risk of tears, it's too weak for Starshoot's endeavor. Plus, Bargaton says star shot per light pulses must happen within a relatively short period of time because once the light sail gets too far from Earth, scientists lose their ability to effectively accelerate it. In short, to reach a fifth the speed of light, so we can access Alpha Centauri in the desired 20 years, within a strict window, light sails would need extremely strong light pulses possible only with lasers. Say design pressures on our light tails are not huge. They're about the same as having a penny on your hand. In scientific terms, pressure adds up to about 10 pascals. Bargainton says, but consider how we go about our lives without worrying about light pressure at all. And they say that it's a, it's, it's a significant amount of laser power. So unlike the other light tails I mentioned earlier, light tails imparted with ultra hard laser pulses can be badly damaged. And the last part here talks about how they're going to make the super durable light sail. And it says, according to researchers, strong laser pulses can create pressure forceful enough to curb and tear the sheet like a taut boat sail may rip if hit by a gust of wind. They believe white sails must have the ability to billow and form a curved shape, kind of like a parachute. 
both the sails light and the rate of curvature should be about 3 meters. In their new papers, the authors outline geometric measurements that ensure optimal billowing. Even a light sail protected from tears, however, will encounter other obstacles. To overcome such issues, the major parameters to consider is sail material. The sheets must be strong for durability, lightweight to minimize laser strength, reflect light, and obviously everything else that makes sense. And they mentioned you can come with a combination of materials, the thickness of those materials and curved geometries would allow the sail to survive the pressures that we're currently designing for. And looking at a material called molybdenum disulfide. And yeah, so as you can see here, there's a, some proposed microchip probes. And yeah, what do you think of all this stuff? Um, well, it's honestly very, a very complicated uh, thing for, you know, both of us. Like, I, I think, you know, creating a, a you know, a, um, a, like a literal sale um that would you know like you know i i feel um i i mean i i don't know like it, it's just interesting you know what like little um you know it takes a i i know that this uh you know um it, it involves a lot of uh, math that I'm sure is hell not capable of, uh, you know, solving right away. <laughs> um, you know, just the idea of it um, uh, building something like this that would, you know, uh, match, um, you know, 20% of the speed of light, as it says right here. Mm -hmm. Um, and having it go in 20 years from here to, you know, like Alpha Centauri and a, you know, a, a completely different, um, solar system, you know, uh, of course there's more, uh, to it, I think, right. You know, like gonna hope that everything's right when it does go from A to B uh, but I'm just uh, I don't know I, I, it, 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 I just love the idea of um, of seeing something like this uh, you know <sighs> I love the idea of this, you know, going, you know, as as much as like, uh, you know, Stephen Hawking said, you know, uh, how do we transcend these limits, you know? Um, what we thought we would never see another solar system, like, from, like, we would never reach another solar system. If we just waited another few decades who knows you know technology moves at such a really fast pace that I um, 
what's impossible now is not gonna uh, be impossible in the next decade, you know, in the next few years even. It, it, it's, it just, you know, goes to show that we went from something as simple as uh, radio that we take for granted nowadays to something like a graphics card that can produce a simulation of a 3D environment at almost photorealistic uh, detail, you know, um, which we don't take for granted yet because it's, there's a freaking shortage going on, of course. Um, I mean, yeah, I mean, I, and this is just a tiny microchip, right? It's going to be using these sails. I guess or so. Yeah. So they actually have an image of the art of it right here. Yeah, I see. The solar cells, there's a microcontroller, there's a radio, antennas, a gyroscope, naturally, to keep its position. I mm. think that there would be many of these inside the main, you know, base itself, because it seems like I can't imagine a chip that small. Yeah, I hear you. I mean, of course, they have to have backups, right? <laughs> yeah, so I think um, like this is just one of the chips that's going inside the entire micro the the space sail itself. Yeah, um, I mean, uh, either way, I can't wait to see a giant cheese it fly through space, <laughs> dude. Anyway, a, spot, uh, a giant space cheese it. That also yeah. can literally like propel like spacecraft, and we can. And if this is done, like imagine if this is done in like you know. It when I'm like. I don't know, forty years old. And you're like thirty five or thirty four, roughly. I'll be sixty four. <laughs> yeah. Then if this exists. By the time in our lifetime, we could technically go to Alpha Centauri and be, you know, your 50s, and I could be my 70s, like 60s, or roughly like that. And we could actually explore one of these planets in Alpha Centauri. That'd be really cool to see. Yeah. And then get attacked by aliens. Anyways, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, we'll have more advanced weaponry by that. So about that point, you can literally make it New America. Yeah. We can now enjoy our cheeseburgers in peace. <laughs> that is if everything doesn't go to shit beforehand, of course. Well, that you know. way, cheeseburgers, but barbecue ribs. And some space. We need some barbecue ribs and some barbecue space ribs. Exactly. <laughs> and corn of the cob our... and all that other good stuff. Oh, yeah, definitely. Gonna enjoy some flame grilled corn on cup. Exactly. Gonna enjoy shooting my futuristic space guns, you know. And those and those steaks. Oh yeah. Hell yeah, man. Gonna enjoy my my Chevy. Anyway, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Gonna enjoy my uh, nano Chevy. I don't know. Gonna, All right. 
All right. Lilac and Eagle. <laughs> and I was, uh, yeah. At this That's point, I was going to say, at this point, I don't think we have comments of the day, so. Yeah, we do. What if Sans, what if, uh, I'm, I'm just going to look at the smooth brain comments that I leave on your videos. Um, uh, what? Uh, okay, so episode 25. Uh, so long, Gary Bowser. <laughs> so long, Discord. You get, uh, virus. Uh, the rubber ducky episode 24. 25, I mean. Wait, shit. Oh, oh rubber ducky 24. That's right. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, episode 23. The time paradox. Ten hours later. <laughs> what if the what if Pope Francis was sans from Earthbound, dude? <laughs> Anyways, it's two o'clock. I shouldn't be shouting. I don't think we should even be doing this episode right now. But here we are, just about to wrap this whole thing up. You sure about that? Because what if sans from Earthbound was, uh the PlayStation 5 on top of Pro Francis's head, lol, dude. Where is that image? Is this it? No, that's not it. <laughs> that's absolute baked alpaca. <laughs> fucking baked, dude. Lol, dude, I get fucking baked. <laughs> I'm gonna stop screaming to the microphone now before I, like, wake up the neighbor he's like a double barrel i think like uh he's like an asshole too so yeah right. well, let's smash yes oh yeah let's end this quickly i'm hydrowave 99 and i'm Fluffelpaka. let's suplex uh rubber duckies together join me on my quest to uh suplex this uh rubber duck uh right away <laughs> And man, I thought you were going to suplex the big boss of them all, Bobby Kotick, but okay. No. Well, well, yeah. I mean, hey, to each their own. Right. I and mean, I just listen to, you know, I just listen to my best friend, uh, the uh, Call of Duty father, and uh, smash that duck. Right. Smash the duck button. Anyway, sorry. Yeah. So if you like I don't what, know what you the fuck I'm saying. Yeah, if you like what you guys see today, uh like, comment, subscribe if you're on YouTube. Also just follow us on any of our different platforms that you see. You know, we have a link tree down below where you can view all of our different platforms, such as the video version on YouTube and the audio versions. And of course our Discord our which is our lovely community that we try to interact with all our viewers and you know, at least we'd like to be able to interact with our community. Yeah. I mean, hey, in until then, smash that like button, smash that subscribe button, smash that duck. Smash everything. And until yeah. then, we'll see you all next time. Bye, everyone. One smash.